everyone. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. This is episode number 37, and my name is Henry. And Braden, and I'm back. Yeah, uh, but and if you happen to catch last week's episode, Chloe is currently in Mexico um, on a little vacation. But um, yeah, she apparently met Timothy Oliphant. Really? Yeah. Where did she meet him? Well, uh, she's in the Florida Keys currently and so she's not in Mexico yet but um yeah okay I don't know <laughs> that's all I know she just happened to be Timothy Oliphant somewhere yep. along the way mm-hmm. I always liked Timothy Oliphant oh yeah 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 uh, I liked him a lot actually in Blue Free or Die Hard oh yeah he was good in that he was really good in that yeah so uh you know and he was pretty good and justified TV series on FX. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch all of it. I should watch that one of these days. But he was supposed to. He was. Oh yeah. Good. In that. Oh yeah. He's good. Uh, and so, one thing. Uh, just we were supposed to have a, a guest or two on, but unfortunately those didn't work out. So it is just Braden and myself for today, which is all all good. But yeah. So we are going to be talking about. Well, I made oh, eye contact with the dog, and now she. Oh yeah. Wants. My my dog is our third person, as she she was last week too. Well, so sit down. Okay. Yeah, just just ignore and she'll uh, she'll go away. Okay. But uh, we are going to be talking about Red Sparrow, and then we're going to be talking about Steven Spielberg's Munich as a retro review, and then we not much news, but or we can I can do a little recap of the Oscars or something. But we have some listener mail and so all the usual stuff. So thanks for joining us. Brayden, you uh, doing all right these days? Um. More or less, a lot of tumult in my life, which is, you know, as I mentioned to you uh, while I was gone last week, is I was, you know, handling a lot of correspondence in with regard to the Chelsea, but also other stuff. I mean, Chelsea uh, has been sold, so my father's going full-blown into retirement, I guess. Uh, and there's been a lot of questions, concern, anxiety, so forth about the, 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 the handover. Um, and I've been trying to deal with various sort of brush fires as they pop up around mm-hmm. that. So, um, a lot of tumult, mm-hmm. uh, but hopefully things smooth over soon and, and, and hopefully the, 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 the changeover goes, uh, somewhat smoothly. But I mean, that's, that's the big news, I guess. Other than that, not a whole heck of a lot going on these days. Yeah. Um, oh, well, I, I'll say I... I Handled my manager duties this weekend with a plum. Just I just handled it uh, so well. And, Did you? Yeah. What, and what what were you responsible for? All the money. Oh. Yeah. Going to the bank, Dropping doing deposit, picking up accounting, extra cash and, all this stuff. So, yeah. luckily, no money was stolen, lost, no fires. Yeah. All good. But uh, I mentioned to you before the show did have an, probably the creepiest customer I've ever uh, encountered. In the service industry, over the however many years I've been doing, I guess maybe five or six. But so yesterday morning, it's Monday morning, very quiet. I think the one of my coworkers had a lute, a song, just a quiet lute playing over the speaker. It was very peaceful. What time was this? Tenish. Tenish. Eleven. So it was sort of right after the major. Yeah. Guys always get a huge rush. Yeah, and so it was very quiet, very calm. Just people working away on their laptops. Pretty much like an adult daycare, if you will. Just like people go there for hours when they 
to do work and whatever else. Anyways, a guy comes in. I don't really notice him at first, but he I am at the register, and he comes up and he's wearing, just to give you a little visual uh, tease here, it's a black trench coat. He's a middle-aged guy, maybe 55, 60. Uh, black sunglasses and one of those fishing camping hats with a little bit of a brim. And, which, I mean, sometimes people come in with, you know, sunglasses and stuff like that. And so it wasn't immediately suspicious, but he was very close to the counter, did not say much at all, just had a very intense demeanor about him. And he also had a flower tucked into his trench coat from, like, hanging from the front. So like, okay, that's a little strange. Yeah. Uh, and he also had a cane because he was, uh, I mean, not a fast mover, thankfully. But he, so my coworker brought him his coffee and he, which is on a paper cup and our little cardboard piece of paper that people use to sign the receipts on, he just started scribbling with the pen in circles, just in very intensely, just scribble, 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 scribble. It's like, okay, well, some people, you know, people do the llama. That's not that weird, mm-hmm. but he does it for a long time. Then he needs to sign his receipt. He just, for the signature is, he just scribbles it again, just in circles, over and over and over. I'm like, okay. And there are people in line behind him, they're kind of looking a little on edge, a little suspicious. Yeah. And he's really not saying much at all. And the, luckily, this other customer comes in. I'm like, oh, hey, could he squeeze in here to sign his receipt too? And then once he kind of moves away, he starts scribbling and writing things on his cup. Like like long sentences, <laughs> and he's and he's like at, he's probably at the counter for maybe two or three minutes, you know. Which usually it's maybe 20, 20, 30 seconds at most, and you're you're gone. Someone who lingers there who you don't know is weird, and it was not only that, but he uh, yeah, I lost my train of thought. Um, right but, oh yeah, so. He, on, and on the cardboard piece of paper where there people have written stuff, mm-hmm. I thought he, it looked like one of the parts that he wrote was saying something like, I love you so much, blah, uh, blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh my God, this guy's like writing his, his like de- death suicide note. Like, you know, I love my family so much. Mm-hmm. And especially with all of the shootings that have recently happened and just even over the last few years, even it's like that, you just start to feel like I could honestly see this guy being someone you would see on the news, hmm. you know? I mean, because he had this black trench coat on, right. very uh, kind of reserved and quiet, and then he goes over to, to to go station for about five minutes fixing stuff, mm-hmm. and he goes back once or twice to the counter very slowly, first to get a cup of water, all this taking multiple minutes, then to put a tip in, then he comes back, puts a few of the rose petals from his flower in the tip jar and says like y'all are worth it <laughs> or something like that something to, and he has just such a creepy demeanor about me like oh my god like <laughs> and because since he was over at the counter so long facing away from us mm-hmm. like what's this guy doing like is he going to take out a weapon <laughs> like yeah. luckily since he was not the, the fastest mover we could easily probably push him over if need be but like it was truly the most unsettling like after that like everyone at the shop was like shaking you know and like 
my coworker, this male coworker, was like, "Yeah, I'm not going over there until he's gone." Yeah. And he's like a pretty muscular guy, and so it was just, it was weird because like at, at times I was like, "Oh my god, this guy's gonna try and pull something." That's I, strange, especially with the the whole shootings and stuff in Florida recently, and yeah. all that that whole yeah. added element. You're like, "Oh my god, this is how it ends." The vast majority of those shootings are by younger guys although i mean the one out in las vegas was the fellow was in his 50s or 60s i think yeah and so this was like it was it was a day for sure Hmm. uh but and also just we had a string of weirdos i hate saying that but like all these people who young and old who would just like stare at stare at us like really long and intensely and just or we get some strange people to chelsea but it's more it's more people who have a, a grossly inflated sense of, of importance. They're yeah. horrendously self-important. Yeah. And so it's not really... We don't get anybody sort of on that that level of mm-hmm. odd. Which, it's rare we get that. Like, it's... I mean, we our shop is this very beloved, cherished local shop, which is right next to the Chelsea Theater. And so it's very a very diverse group, young, old, you know, students people who live over at the retirement home and so it's very it's not unlikely to see someone who's a little strange i mean Mm -hmm. that's kind of what we're all about there but it's this guy was i mean chapel hill carbo derm to an extent we've always sort of celebrated eccentricity which is fine Mm -hmm. but uh i mean there's a there's eccentric and then there's just Mm -hmm. off-puttingly weird yeah and so I pretty much did not take my eyes off this guy the whole time, especially when he was over face, facing away from us. But thankfully, he finally left mm-hmm. with scribbles all like all over the place, his cup and this on this piece of cardboard. But then he walked slowly down, oh, kind of out of sight. I, I went about thirty seconds later and looked for him, and he was gone. Mm. And that's like basically the only place over there is the flower shop or something. Yeah, and I was just like. <laughs> Is he a ghost? Well, he could, have, he could have gone around the corner. And I know there's a... I don't know. I don't want to speculate. It'd, yeah, be, it'd, it be, was, it'd be wrong of me to speculate. I was I think, so. expecting him to go be sitting somewhere, but he was completely gone after about 30 seconds. So it was... Very strange. Yeah. Very weird and unsettling, but everybody's okay uh, as far as none, I know. None the worse for wear. Yeah. Anyways, uh, with that said... Uh, should we just get on to Red Sparrow, Breed? Uh, if we have to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm... The film is divisive, and so I think it'll make for a good discussion. Possibly. I, I, I can already say Chloe's rating is a negative 1,000. Yeah, you know, something like that. I was watching this as, like, Chloe's gonna hate <laughs> I think she knew that. Negative, negative 10,000 evening gown. Like, she was, she was stoked that she did not have to see this, because she it was in Mexico. Uh, you know? Uh, so... But, which is fine. It's definitely not for everybody, so... Which is alright. No, that's for damn sure. <laughs> but, so, yeah, let's move on to Red Sparrow, and we have a clip for this one, so take a listen. Dominique Gorba. You know my name? You told me. <laughs> you stole my ID from the pool. That would be illegal. <laughs> Were you just looking for me? I had nowhere to find you if I was. Listen, I'm curious. Did you want me to know that you were following me, or are you just real clumsy? The Americans always think the rest of us are so interested, and you don't do. So what made you want to become a translator? 
My mother is unwell. If I work for the government, the state helps me take care of her. My uncle helped me get the job. Your uncle is a very powerful man. In my country, if you don't matter to the men in power, you do not matter. Hey, uh, I'd like to see you again. Why are we going to become friends? Is that what you want? I don't have any. There's a Russian restaurant right by the opera. Have dinner with me there. Tomorrow at eight. All right. So Red Sparrow is directed by Francis Lawrence, and oh shoot, stars Jennifer Lawrence, Joel Edgerton, Jeremy Irons, Jeremy Irons, Matthias. I can never say Schoenertz. Schoenertz. And that might be about it that I can think of. And the plot synopsis is... I keep on losing my spot. Ballerina Dominika Igorova, Igorova is recruited to Sparrow School, a Russian intelligence service where she is forced to use her body as a weapon. Her first mission, targeting a CIA agent threatens to unravel the security of both nations. And there goes the train. Just on time. (laughs) Yeah. And so this one, so Francis Lawrence most recently directed the the latter three Hunger Games films, most of which I was a fan of. I didn't love, but I I liked his direction, similar to David Yates's uh, stamp on the last three or four Harry Potter movies. Uh, I just found that refreshing, even though I didn't love the Hunger Games movies. And he also directed I Am Legend and I think maybe one or two others. But I think he's done a lot of music videos as well. And anyways, this one is getting some... It's not. I don't know if it's that controversial, but it's definitely caused a little bit of a stir. It's not... I wouldn't say it's controversial. it's, it's, It's caused a bit of a stir... In the status quo, I think it's the, 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 it doesn't introduce any ideas that are really controversy worthy. It's not it's not challenging any kind of conventional wisdom yeah. or anything. Well, like I think that. in terms of like an audience viewing it and it's being divisive. Yes, it's. I don't know if it's controversial. I wouldn't say it's controversial. It's or just divisive. People or some people are very turned off by what it's showing on I screen. Am. I know I was. I thought I thought the whole thing was just garbage. Really? Yeah. I mean, seriously. I watched it, I didn't understand what the whole purpose of any of that was. Well, I mean, I think it's kind of showing what someone will... I mean, I'll agree it's not, like, the most complex uh, in terms of themes, but I found it, like, it's discussing the idea of what someone is willing to do to keep someone they love alive which of course that is a small part of the film but i her relationship with her mother is just throwaway it's it's completely immaterial to the whole thing you see her mother three four times Mm -hmm. and there's no there's no context for why her relationship to her mother is so strong her mother shows up a few times just says a few soothing things to the daughter but largely you don't know what the relate? What is? Why is the relationship between the two of them so strong? What is? What is it? You know, it's you're supposed to, I guess, just simply assume. Oh, because it's mother and a daughter, and I guess the father's dead, and that. But uh, for that reason, they're they're remarkably close. But they talk. They talk constantly. Oh, my mother needs medical treatment. My mother needs medical treatment, and she can't. You don't know 
what it is that ails her. Mm. Well, but is it terminal? Is it does she have some sort of cancer, or is it like she's got rheumatoid arthritis or something? You know. Mm-hmm. So uh, her whole the whole pretext for her doing these these sort of sketchy things on behalf of the state, uh, it just seems flimsy. Mm-hmm. It just seems well, flimsy. It's well, I mean, not, also there's the which I guess is the main reason is that she witnesses something she shouldn't and and then there's you no context for the who is this guy used to know of that that they wind up killing why why is why does he need to be killed and why is it important that she why it must be kept secret that she saw his assassination well i mean i think she's at the time she's not anyone and then she sees someone uh eliminated by a secret group you know, and I think he did have some type of status in that, in the society at the time, whatever. whatever well, I mean, was. you know, if you look at Russian politics these days, and you know, you've got oligarchs who have, you know, billionaires who have considerable amount of favor, and then the next day they'll be they'll be completely stripped of their titles, exiled somewhere. Uh, and I mean, there have been assassinations. Actually, I, f- I remember the fellow who's a dissenter. Uh, he was killed in. London, I believe, with polonium or something like that. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the gentleman's name. I, I should look that up again. But, but I mean, this is not an uncommon thing, and I get that. But it doesn't. Again, there's no. Who is this guy? Why does he need to be killed? There's at least give me some notion of that, and it seems that these hugely important plot points have no explanation now that that's not this i guess in a sense maybe that's intentional just so you don't get fixated on these little plot points that are simply mechanisms to move the story along mm-hmm. but at the same time it doesn't it doesn't you're never really it's there's no explanation given as to why why these things are so it's just treated okay these are important now run on the assumption that these are critical critical junctures junctions within the movement of the story mm-hmm. but, but why are they right well, okay well i mean i'll chime in i mean i so i'll say i like the movie i i i don't think it's a masterpiece but the one one thing i found it to be very refreshing i'll agree that the plot points in it are you could immediately question, like I think a lot of spy movies, you can immediately question, okay, well, is that guy really this important to this motivation, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know if it is in this, but to me, I found this film to be so much more about the journey of the character rather than any ex- uh, exterior element. Because if you, the main part of the film is trying to find this, like, mole, as you know, which... Mm-hmm. Um, is maybe mentioned two or three times in the film and the latter or the middle hour and 40 minutes or so are pretty much all about the character's journey through getting to that point point. and so what I loved is it shows you the how a an assassin or a covert agent would get to finding that target or discovering that rather than who it is, why, when because something like Atomic Blonde, which is came out last year, is one of the reasons I found that to be a little underwhelming. While the action is awesome, they spend so much time in this plot that you could see a mile away, and it's just 
and there's so much of it that it just really bogged the movie down for me, even though I did like that movie. Um, I'd say even some of the James Bond films suffer from that. But I found this to be so much more refreshingly about Jennifer Lawrence and then about Joel Edgerton and the dynamics between them, which I don't think it's flawless, but to me the elements of that story are much more interesting than what they could have done with the mole. Because I don't really don't care about who the, the mole is, why they did it. I just yeah. want to see the, how the characters get to that point. And so what I found interesting is you see the training, you see the the process, okay, we need to go do this, then we're going to do this, and then, oh, well, if you encounter that person, do that, rather than, yeah, this person double-crossed me back in 05 in Berlin, and I've been, you know, trying to find him ever since, and he killed my sister, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't, that doesn't, almost never interest me. And so, yeah. of, course, of course, I'm much more of a character-driven guy, which is, I someone like Chloe is much more plot-driven, I think, but... Which is fine, but anyways, that's my introduction. <laughs> well, I, I will say, the mole thing. I actually kind of saw that coming from a mile away. Yeah. Uh, which I I think the film knows which it's not. Yeah. Knows you know. Well, I will say the other part past that, the very end of the film and, and her frame up and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was done kind of well, a very subtle way. But as you pointed out, the plot is secondary or tertiary in terms of importance next to the development of the characters. Mm. And as such, I mean, that's what really bothered me. I felt dirty watching this film. I think you're, I think you're kind of meant to be. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, mean I, I, I don't think any of the training is you're supposed to be find that uh, sexy. I think it's meant to be. It's like, no, I know. That's well, it's it's intentionally. But I mean, you 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 come out of it feeling just gross. Yeah. Which is not, I mean, you know, I like films that, that, that make, that push boundaries. I, like, I appreciate films that make you think about things. But, I mean, to what extent do you want to go in and watch two hours and 20 minutes of something and you walk out of the theater feeling worse as a human being for having seen it? Well, I mean, I, I agree that the, the film is probably the most brutal just if you're planning on seeing it, it is probably one of the most brutal spy film or assassin films I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Um, which again, for the most part, I I don't welcome. Obviously, I don't like watching people being uh, assaulted or or whatever. But in terms of this being a big studio film, I kind of found that refreshing at times. I didn't like watching it. I don't know. But, if refreshing is appropriate. Word yeah. I mean, I, I found it at least. Let's say I'll say it's different. It's yeah. different. It it was bold and it took chances. And of course, some of those well, things fall flat. Which I never was bold and, and took chances. And yes. I appreciate the chances that it. I did. I thought it was a bit of a train wreck for a film. Uh, I appreciate um, Jennifer Lawrence for the roles that she's yes, taking recently. Yes, I agree as well. Um, it's just that the, 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 this film. I don't know. First of all, I'm getting tired of origin films, and this has very much of an origin story feel to it. Mm -hmm. uh, what with the whole training and all of that. Although I, I liked, I, I found the training to be, it's gross, but it's again, it's it's, it's somewhat, but 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 it doesn't. I mean, all the training that she receives at this state school for later in the f completely 
be irrelevant, immaterial, superfluous to everything that she does later in the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, everything that she does, particularly with regard to Joel Edgerton, is it's just sort of like what you would expect to come naturally in those instances. And so why she went through this whole uh, state school for uh, utter breakdown and degradation of the human being in order to, to be a more useful uh, tool for the for, for, for the Russian state. Mm. It just it didn't it didn't make any sense within the context of the rest of the film. Mm. I mean particularly given that she actually does form uh, a strong bond uh, with Joel Edgerton, with Nate Nash, Joel Edgerton's character. Mm. And the whole point of the state school is, you know, to break down the human being, to remove the personal from, from any kind of uh, equation, particularly any kind of uh, seductive uh, scenario between these these agents and their marks and all this kind of stuff. And I guess the whole point is, oh, she retains some of her humanity and she doesn't completely give in to the Mm-hmm. to the doctrine of this state school for she's not a full-on sparrow but i mean it's just it just go, it just sh- shifts from one horrible lurid scene to the next and i mean it starts off early uh with the rape and then she's in the state school four and then there's another rape and then uh you know kind of lurid sexual activities and they sit all sit around watching pornography all day and I mean, it's just, it's just, it's very strange. And again, all of that training, that whole 30, 40 minutes that she spends at state school four going through all this, this, this very lurid, very prurient, very sort of horrifying stuff in order to, to, to remove any kind of personal moral mm-hmm. uh, calculus from, from these like naughty sexual acts of seduction that they're supposed to do which that's the other thing is it's not they're not taught how to seduce right right i think but i think they're it's not taught it's not it's not manipulation it's not seduction well i think they were chosen because they had that quality already and so then they're being taught to have that power or have that utilize that skill but also have no human behind it as it were like it's it's yeah but i mean again the emphasis isn't on manipulation and seduction it's almost it's just purely sex right right which but for the role that she's taking is wouldn't that only be what you need no well i mean in terms of i mean that's that's seducing the the guy into sex and then what is what does sex get you though I mean, sex, the sex is simply an act. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't achieve anything. It would say. I would say in that scenario, if you're uh, taking, if you see, have a target, I'm going to seduce him. Then I'm going to have sex with him. Is that's when I would say you let your guard down. Well, see, it doesn't. It, that's that's the point. Is it never says anything like that. They never. They they say, sex is a means of disarming somebody, of putting them in such a tremendously vulnerable state that you can take advantage of them. But if you're trying to get secrets out of somebody, sex is not, because, you know, if you're having sex, you're not going to say, give me the nuclear codes while you're in the middle of coitus. Well, I feel like she's more of an assassin, wouldn't you say, rather than like a... uh uh, trying to get information necessarily. You see, you see where my issue is. So much, so much ambigu- ambiguity with this. Right. 
Oh, and, yeah. I mean, in Annihilation, there was a considerable amount of ambiguity, but the point is, the ambiguity was central to that because you didn't know what you were dealing with, mm-hmm. with this sort of alien entity in Annihilation. This, it's all human interaction, but mm, there's again, there's no context given for why is so much emphasis placed on sex. And then later in the film, all of that training that she has completely drops out. I mean, the manipulations that she runs, are it's not... It's not sort of psychological manipulations that she does. Like the, the manipulation of the station chief that she deals with, who's a horrible misogynistic piece of shit. Mm. What does she do? She gets him on camera assaulting her and says, uh, you're going to give me a favorable report or I'm just going to I'm gonna press charges and then your career's over because your cover will be blown. Mm-hmm. Right? That's just a story. Anybody could do that. Anybody could come up with that kind of manipulation. That's not a psychological manipulation. Well, I... And I mean, what she resorts to in order to get him to attack her, she follows him into a strip club and says, you have a tiny penis. Men- There's nothing subtle or interesting about that. So so it's, it's as though all this training that she went through in this state school for is totally irrelevant to everything else that she does. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, it just it just seems like so much of the, of the film just seems like a pretext to get Jennifer Lawrence nude. Well, yeah, I mean, I... I mean, well, for one, I, th- I mean, she's come out and defended her own uh, being nude. I mean, it's like she, it's not like she was like, oh my god, I, I don't want to do this. Like, they, she said she sat down with the director and she mm-hmm. had a very frank conversation I mean, about that, which is... That's merely make it okay, but I feel like it's just it. I don't. Well, I mean, well, she should feel comfortable. I mean, any actor or actor should feel comfortable in whatever they're doing. And it's again, it's not necessarily nudity that I object to. Mm-hmm. What I object to is nudity that seems irrelevant. Like why? Why do they need to be nude here? Right, and other than the scenes in the state school four, and all of the stuff where she's going through the training program, that whole training program, bogus. She could have been five minutes talking about, you know, sex is used as a tool to disarm your mark. Uh, when they're disarmed, it, it, it makes them more vulnerable to assassination, extraction of secrets. They leave, they leave their guard down, and you can more easily access their computers or their cell phones or whatever. Right, mm. you know, you plug this device in and. You know, five, ten minutes, and you talk about that, and then you do the thing, and then it's over. But no, you get all these lurid scenes, uh, the shower rape scene, and then the scene in the, in, the, in the classroom where she's, you know, oh, fuck me now, oh, oh, I can't get, you know, and it's, oh, I'm taking away his, he wants power, and if I take that away from him, then he can't, he can't perform. I mean, it's just, none of that comes, none of it comes into play later particularly with regard to the dynamic between her and Nate Nash, Joel Edgerton's character. No, there's no psychological manipulation. It's she just The character just completely oh, goes into damsel in distress mode, which maybe that's the manipulation that she's... I mean, it never, it never, well, it never yeah. makes that clear, though. Is, is that I've, the manipulation I've, that she's running on him? Because if so, then that's calculated, and that actually does pertain to her training. But it never makes that clear, and I get the sense after watching the film that the whole damsel in distress thing is it was not a psychological manipulation on her part. She simply was a damsel in distress. 
oh my my uncle's playing me my mother's sick and i need some help help well, me help me mr american well pie. see i mean now of course ambiguity i i mean is kind of a divisive quality but i mean i one thing i liked that found i found compelling is okay is she uh merely seducing him uh to you know uh, kill him find out information or is there a a mix between her actually feeling for him and her uh which i mean of course i'll say it doesn't totally make that clear i mean there's a scene towards the end where there's kind of a a twist Mm -hmm. where it uh, it show, kind of shows one or the other, but I mean that's actually one thing I found interesting is like, huh? I, like I wonder if she actually is purely being a sparrow and doing her job as a seductive uh, young woman or assassin, or is she like actually starting to break a little bit because of her past life and then uh, falling for him? But yeah. I, I don't find as much to be a damsel in distress, really. But. Uh, Oh, one thing, just slightly changing gears here. This guy loves David Fincher. Okay. Like, did this not feel like a girl with a dragon tattoo, but like an espionage movie? Well, now that you mention it, I mean, I thought I really liked the cinematography. Yeah, it looked and good. It has a lot of sort of Fincher. Like, it has this low key. Aesthetic. Yeah, like qualities it's, to it, it's yeah. like low key lighting, very defined direction, and when it, the mm-hmm. camera does move, it's very slight, and uh, there's the especially especially with his last few films dealing with a very strong yet very damaged woman. Mm-hmm. So it's very, this really felt like a little girl with a dragon tattoo, a little Gone Girl even. Yeah, but which isn't which maybe one of the reasons why I liked it, like how I did, but I did notice that. A little bit, but I mean, I I I'll agree that there's there are some exterior uh, or alternate elements of the story that don't totally add up. They're not perfect, but I just found I was never really bored. I found the characters' journey to be really compelling, despite it maybe having. Really, you weren't bored? No, really. Yeah, I mean, I mean, half the film was Jennifer Lawrence walking around Budapest looking like a fashion model. I mean, it was. And here she is in her all-black ensemble with the beret and the sunglasses. And then, you know, five minutes later, here's Jennifer Lawrence sporting a new uh, hand-knit scarf from blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's just sort of like her stalking around looking glamorous. Hmm. And so it was all these very long-lingering shots of J-Law looking, you know, fiercely stylish, out on the catwalk, strutting her stuff kind of thing. After a while, I was just kind of going, okay, okay. I mean, the the only part that I found to be kind of to drag was the third act, which goes into plot. Yeah. Other than that, I, I, I didn't really get the. I mean, of course, she's very front and center in what she's showing, but I mean, I found the relationship between her and Joel Edgerton to be very interesting, and their two different worlds and how they're Mm -hmm. kind of colliding, and uh, I. Again, it's you know it's brutal, and at times that's it's shocking, but it's effective in that way. And you know, I it's it's not it's definitely taking a much more grounded. I mean, not enti- it's not entirely realistic, but much more grounded, gritty uh, style of an espionage movie, even more than Atomic Blonde, which is very stylized. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy a little bit. In terms in of that sense. slow burn, yeah. But this one is much more visceral which, and a thriller. 
Well, yeah. which normally I would appreciate. I love Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I think it's, it's a spectacular film. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, so much of what makes that awesome is, I mean, the cinematography is outstanding. Yeah. And as I mentioned, I kind of like a cinematography in Red Sparrow. Mm-hmm. My issue, again, with Red Sparrow is, is it seems to rely on this sort of shock factor in order to... You know, oh, spies doing sexy stuff. Ooh, you know, we're in Bond. I mean, Bond. Okay, granted, you know, a lot of misogyny and things like that. It was, it was definitely a product of its time. Mm -hmm. But it was the 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 seduction, the sexuality was was it was a tease. It was erotic. It was there as a uh, a sort of a uh, joyous, fun thing. It wasn't there to make you feel dirty. It wasn't there to be lurid. It wasn't there to show the sort of bestial or dehumanized aspect of, of you know, it was um, sexy, fun, erotic, flirtatious. And, you know, you never see, there's a lot of banter and you'll see him jumping into bed with somebody or getting out of bed with a woman. But it was never full on like nudity, anything like that. And mm. the way the way which it was used in Red Sparrow is is it shows you these scenes and it, it's it's violent violent sexuality mm. and it's prurient sexuality and it's dehumanizing sexualities. And so Which, which I, I think that the job that she has is dehumanizing. So I think it would be weird to show it another way, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I mean, because it's it's you're watching it and you're a, a, any uh, type of sexual act is very pretty turned off by that. You know, what I mean, it, yeah. it's it's assault or it's a very you know exactly what how this is going to end in terms of uh, of violence, um, and that again is not fun to watch. It's not good. It's not a nice thing, but it's at least a taking a different route than I think a lot of spy movies are willing to do, mm-hmm. I think. And, again, I think it falls flat at times. Other times I found it's like, wow, that's so shocking, but I, you know, I, it's almost like showing the stakes and the consequences of that world that she has now become a right. part of. Right. And almost willingly. Because mm-hmm. she could have could have taken a different route. I mean, won't spoil it, but she's now in this and she has to commit to that or she's done. Yeah, you know, uh, and so which, of course, not everyone's everyone. A lot of people have watched it and are, hor- kind of horrified and not in a, in a cinematic way. It's just no, yeah. I, that's that's not almost similar to Mother and mm-hmm. kind of like in the third act. People are like, oh my god, I can't. That's well, not that's... what I want to see. It's not effective. Blah blah blah. And I could see people having the same reaction to this, but I personally, for the most part, just found it to be compelling and more. Uh, uh, memorable and bold than a lot of other spy movies, I yeah. feel. Well, I mean, this, what, what really bothers me is the fact that she goes through all of this and then it, it's not its not as though there's any kind of internal struggle. She doesn't have any kind of internal struggle dealing with uh, the indoctrination and all of these things that she's exposed to and has to go through. And you see her, the final scene where she's forced to confront her, her would-be rapist. Mm-hmm. 
you start to see her begin to sort of detach herself from her, her humanity and use sex simply as a tool rather than as some sort of uh, an actual intimate act. Right. And then that's completely forgotten. And as I said, the whole the whole episode in State School 4 where she's taught all this stuff just completely out the way. You forget it ever happened. You forget it ever happened. And so none of this this dehumanization, it's no it's it's as though there's no difficulty, there's no turmoil. She's released on the world and it's mostly just sort of hints at how Ooh, ooh, the sparrows are naughty. They've got magic pussies, right? That's <laughs> yeah. what her station chief says at one point. Yeah. They're all rumored to have magic pussies. And it's just, you don't see any of any, any kind of inner turmoil of her grappling between retaining her humanity and having some actual desire, uh, love, lust, whatever, for Nate Nash. And and her her uh, allegiance, however whatever it may be, to to the state, to the Russian state, to the Russian people, uh, struggling, you know, again, any kind of internal struggle with this training that she's gone through, which is intended to to break her down and completely obliterate any sense of of human uh, human capacity. Mm-hmm. With regards to love, intimacy, desire, those sorts of things, right? Mm-hmm. And so again, she gets out of there, and then immediately it's, oh, I love, I love Nate Nash, and he's wonderful, and I'm going to actually have meaningful sex with him. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you kind of wonder at times, uh, is she playing him? But there's no, there's nothing to indicate. That this is this is a play by her. This mm-hmm. that this is some sort of ploy that she's manipulating him, and then, as I said earlier, there's no. It's all premised on sex. There's no actual uh, manipulation through the art of seduction. There's no manipulation through through if you're able to figure out what what it is that makes somebody tick. What it is that they're missing. That, that they they so absolutely yearn for, mm-hmm. right? Which is, all, I thought that what the point of the Sparrows is, you figure out what it is that they're lacking in their life and then you are able to provide that. And some people simply, it doesn't boil down to sex, which I think is probably, now that, I, uh, now that I've touched on that, what, what bothers me most about this is that it seems to, in the whole film seems premised on the fact that that people... The, the at the root of who they are are only interested or driven by sexual desires. Right. Which I don't think is right. I know. I mean that's 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 it's you know, sex is certainly a healthy thing. It can be a good thing. A lot of times unfortunately it, it can be twisted, it can be a complicated, uh, difficult thing, but that's not I don't think that's the only thing that drives people. Right, yeah, I agree. I mean, I well, also one other thing. I mean, it doesn't discuss it that much, but just an idea that kind of popped into my head is it's showing how a young woman, seemingly normal. I mean, she's very attractive, but can pull a few moves and then be at your utmost, or you can be completely at her. Uh, uh, whatever she feels like doing, she can because she now has control over you because of that. And so these seemingly 
smart assassins who are so highly trained can be completely turned um, or can completely lose all that because a woman shows like takes off her shirt or her dress and it's like okay yep now that i'm having sex which again that's not everybody i mean some people would see through that obviously but i found the idea of her being able to just have sex with a guy or seduce someone and then she has the power almost immediately because they're like oh i'm having sex Mm -hmm. (laughs) which i mean of course again that's not everyone but it's like she again almost immediately gains power because of that um through some of it not very pretty ways but i mean it's like look how quickly someone who is so highly trained supposedly is taken down by a 25 year old woman well i mean that's the other thing that nate nash joel edgerton he i never feel as though he completely loses himself to he falls in love with her but i mean it's as though the whole time he's aware of who she is and what she's doing and I don't know. The whole thing seems very strange. I mean, I guess in it to an extent. I mean, I have to. I have to put myself on on the spot here. But you do kind of wonder at times throughout the film that is she, is she actually manipulating him, or is it really just a, is she actually just a damsel in distress? Right. And so that sort of ambiguity that 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 it sort of toes the line between the two. Uh, predator and prey mm-hmm. and jennifer lawrence dominica you know predator prey and she sort of toes the line between the two and so i thought i thought her performance i thought joel edgerton was good and the dynamic between the two of them the chemistry between the two of them was generally pretty good um that being said again i the whole point to the sparrow school and all of the the, the sort of disgusting things that they did there and it seemed as though none of it really came into play later in the film. Or at least there's a huge disconnect in terms of what they're taught with regard to sex as a weapon and then what she does in terms of the manipulation of Nate Nash. Because there's nothing taught about really the art of seduction and manipulation. It's all just sex. Mm-hmm. You know, give up give up your morals about sex. Sex, sex, sexy, sex time, sex. You know, yeah. it's, it's not... You know, there's there's a little bit about you know, okay, find find the weakness in this person, manipulate that weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's very very little bit about that, right? And it's mostly just sex, sex, and you know, okay, now confront your rapist, and okay, now fillet this pedophile in front of a classroom full of people. <sighs> really? I mean, okay, mm-hmm. and it's it's it's. You know, and all those people in the state school four completely drop out later. Well, because that all the complications that they have to deal with completely gone, right? And then she runs into another sparrow later, and that's that's nothing really happens. Nothing's really interesting. All that all that interesting there, and so it's all this stuff that she goes through with the state school four, which is sort of the pivotal uh, origin story aspect of the whole thing, mm-hmm. right? Oh, this is how she. This is the the rigorous training that she goes through. There's nothing about this is how you shoot. You know, they pick locks a little bit and then it's sex. Mm-hmm. And then they have a little classroom lecture time and then it's sex. Right. And it just... Well, I mean, I'll, one thing kind of with, with that is 
it's actually similar to Gone Girl in that way. And there's like there's almost four or five short films in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's the school. There's the the uh, the ballerina story, and then there's the much more of a plot driven story. And then there's that third act where there's certain families and dynamics or reveal with, within that world. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these things could be just films by themselves in a way, yeah. almost in the way that. Gone Girl, you could probably just watch one section and you could find that very compelling right. on, on its own. And so I, I agree that some parts slightly drop out, some parts aren't as... And again, I don't, I don't think it's like a masterpiece or anything, but um, it's it's not perfect, but I don't know, I was, I was interested in it for some reason, for better or worse, but... Um, oh, but are you talking about the spell that she meets? You mean the blonde... The one that she's staying living with in Budapest, the one that had been working on Stephanie Boucher as a right. Well, as a source. I'll, well, I'd say that there is a kind of a, a twist with that in terms of her working with someone and revealing something. There's kind of a yes, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, you know, which again, that's not the most novel idea in the world, but it's like, oh, okay, so I really am on my own here, mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, and I and I found that somewhat interesting. But yeah, what did you think of the performances? I thought they were overall very good. Yeah, I mean, I thought you know Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Joel Edgerton, both really good. Jeremy Irons is mm-hmm. you know he's Jeremy freaking Irons. Yeah, <laughs> um, I really like Matthias Schoenertz. He was yeah. super super creepy. Yeah, he's a good good actor. Um, Charlotte Rampling. I'm just what is she, is she the mother? She's matron. Yeah. Okay. She's the one in charge of State School Four, and I. You know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's good, but you kind of go show rambling. <laughs> she, you know, she spends half her time in State School Four, like feeling up all the all the cadets. And, mm, yeah, it's it's a weird weird it's, role. It's a strange role for her. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I guess you know, watching this, I I think so so much of it is intended to be impactful. You know, the detachment of this of matron as this state training you know, hard-ass training, mm-hmm. you know, and then um, all these cadets and they're supposed to be broken down and it just, it doesn't feel, it feels kind of silly at times. It doesn't feel as though they're really having some sort of intense struggle mm-hmm. with um breaking down their their personality breaking down their morality and leaving these things behind you know the one time that you really see that is when that that uh that sort of vulnerable looking young woman sort of breaks down and says oh i can't flee him in front of a classroom full of people oh yeah and then you're supposed to oh poor baby you know <laughs> oh okay so they are still human sort of mm-hmm. but i mean Again, there's no real... The depiction of this whole process for them doesn't... There's no real strong turmoil. And when she comes out of this program, there's no... It doesn't really show any inner inner struggle with Dominika Agarova uh, trying to retain her personality, trying to retain her morality. Mm -hmm. And the manipulations that she does most of them don't feel they're very direct they don't feel really subtle mm. uh, yeah I mean I'll agree that um, 
the some of some I mostly like the direction direction, but I think some of it is a little clunky. Yeah, I think. Oh, so I'll, I'll agree. So some stuff is a little overly blunt or too subtle. You yeah. Know? Uh, but I. I mean, I like ambiguity. I like I like I like uh, complex relationships. I like being sort of left in the dark as to who's doing what, and you know. Again, I, I hate referring to it all the time. I, I sound like a broken friggin' record, but I mean the the master, right? Mm-hmm. And the difficulty, the complexity, the ambiguity of the relationships, particularly between Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix's characters in that. Um, and here, I appreciate the ambiguity, and I, I do think that that the the relationship between Joel Edgerton and Jennifer Lawrence is actually. I appreciate that ambiguity. I think that actually there is a little bit of subtlety there. Uh, that being said, there there is, that's potentially the one relationship where you 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 kind of think you're kind of left wondering is is this a manipulation? Mm-hmm. Uh, is she predator or prey in this? And I, I I feel I mean I could be wrong. Perhaps you know somebody else will have a different take on this, but it feels largely as though she's in the prey category more so than the predator mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the film you get you get the you, you get the sense the uh, the definite sense that she was a victim of circumstance and you never felt as though she did take eventually take charge of the situation but um, I don't know it's it's difficult to tell mm-hmm I mean, thinking about it, I think there were some interesting and redeeming aspects of, um, not of her performance, but of, her, of the character itself. But at the same time, um, I guess, I mean, I mean my, 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 my main complaint comes from State School 4 and simply how so much of that feels as though it, it drops out of the film. Mm-hmm. And how so much of the emphasis is placed on sexuality and then sex is almost not at all seen again later in the film and Mm. a few times it is it's not used as a weapon the way that it's taught in state school Mm four it's actually really the only other two sex scenes that you see later in the film uh are actually uh sexual encounters between two consenting adults that that have a mutual attraction Mm -hmm. and both times it's the same two people yeah and so it's not as though any of this training, any of this 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 uh, indoctrination program at City School Four really ever comes into play later in the film, and so it seems almost as though it was there strictly as a pure lurid shock factor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, yeah uh, I mean, and I, this is not all like I'm not defending it at all for this reason, but this is based off a book in a trilogy, yeah. which I would I would like to read the this book. And then I would like to see if this this latter two books go into that, which yeah. I feel like it probably would. But could, again, yeah. if it's not all in this movie, you can't say, oh, well, it would be in a different movie, you know, kind of like a Marvel mm-hmm. argument um, or something. But yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely not without its flaws, I think. Um, but I mean, it's, and it's definitely not, if you loved Atomic Blonde, like, like someone like Chloe, don't go in expecting... Another, this which is yeah, supposed not, to be a different. This is more of a psychological yeah. thriller than it James, is like uh, action, stylish action. Yeah, Atomic Blonde is much more of a James Bond film, whereas this mm-hmm. is more like 
kind of like Tinker Tailor, but yeah, a lot more brutal. Yeah, it's trying a lot to be more, Tinker Tailor. But. Yeah, um, so it's kind of in a middle area that's kind of hard to... Just, just, so it's... don't Definitely don't go in with like a... Um, take your kids to see this one. Yeah, no, this is not for, not <laughs> for not, the wee ones. It's not stylized. It's pretty sleazy and yeah. trashy, so... Well, I don't know that I'd say sleazy and trashy. You know, I mean, I, well, I mean, it's got some naughty, prurient stuff in it. I mean, it's not sleazy. It's not like or porn. S- or I mean, sleazy in what it's like representing. Almost, yeah, yeah. You know, like here, sex. That's what we're. Yeah. That's our job. I mean, it's got it's got like naughty, sexy stuff in it. Yeah. But again, um, the naughty, sexy stuff all seems to be state school four. And it's all contained within that, and then it almost completely drops out for the rest of the film. Right. And so that whole State School 4 thing could have been condensed, simplified, something. Mm-hmm. And all of the, the really disgusting, lurid stuff that happened did not need to be in there because it has no bearing, no relevance to the rest of the, of the film. Mm-hmm. Other than, oh, you're a Sparrow. Oh, you've got the magic pussy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a little um drops a few ideas and stories off without yeah. much uh reasoning. Again, so I'll I'll agree with that. If the state school four, if she had spent the rest of the film sort of having an inner turmoil struggle, but that's the thing, is it's not. Mm-hmm. And what the film actually turns into, what she does throughout the film and it shows you sort of oh, this is what she was doing the whole time, you kinda go, Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But again, there's a huge disconnect in terms of the, the 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 subtlety of her machinations and what she's taught in State School Four, right? And so that whole State School Four thing just seems so throwaway. A lot of it didn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. It just seemed lurid for the sake of being lurid and pushing buttons. If that had happened, and then there's sort of more more further difficulty in terms of sexuality and uh, inner turmoil, her actually having feelings for this Nate Nash, and then more inner turmoil, her struggling with the, 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 the doctrine that she received at city school. That would have been interesting. Then I would have seen the connection. Then I would have said, okay, I feel as though all this stuff that she went through at the beginning of the film is relevant. Mm-hmm. Didn't get that. Yeah. I didn't get a sense of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that aside, just my own personal foreign policy geek out stuff. <laughs> just, I mean, all of the depictions of the Americans versus the Russians in this was so sort of stereotypical kind of all the Americans are, are blustery self-important windbags mm-hmm. uh, particularly Mary Louise Parker's character which is just awful right which which one's she she was the 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 um, Stephanie Boucher she was the the chief of staff to a senator she was the one oh, that's yeah. selling yeah, yeah. nuclear secrets to right, right. to the Russians mm-hmm. um, horrible character I mean the the people at the station that Nate Nash is working out of as well uh, the woman seems sort of like a professional career type but then the guy that uh that was there as well sort of paunchy balding beard mm-hmm. you know he was just oh 
I like to say naughty words, fuck and pussy and blah mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. And I mean, he's just he's just he was just such a caricature, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then of course the depiction of the Russians. Oh, they're all heartless, cold automatons, and uh, you know they all sacrifice everything for the state. And you know if you look at all the buildings that they're in, even the Bolshoi Ballet, right? All the back rooms there, it's all dilapidated and run down. And it just, it just, I don't know. It just struck me uh, as very sort of stereotypical, which mm-hmm. is something stereotypical depictions of these two nations, mm-hmm. which you would expect in sort of a Bond film. But again, Bond films are meant to be sort of silly, fun. Well, maybe not the Daniel Craig Bond films. Yeah, because those have generally been much more sophisticated. Um, and I actually quite like um, the Felix Leiter character in the new Bond films. Oh, yeah. But, um, as opposed to the old Bond, but but the old Bond films, if you look at them, it was, you know, uh, Americans all have a lot more money than they do brains. <laughs> yeah. And they like big boats and girls in bikinis, and, you mm-hmm. know, and then here comes Bond, and he's just Mr. Dapper English gentleman, and mm-hmm. the Russians are all like big lumbering superhuman robot types I don't I mean you know that kind of thing you would expect from from the older Bond films but it just seemed a bit oversimplified in this mm-hmm. yeah so I don't know anyhow that's that's my own personal sort of geek out stuff though mm-hmm. yeah I mean I it's I, I did I like the journey for better or worse and I can see why some people would be very turned off by it but um, it's definitely not a, a perfect or a masterpiece or should be held in, you know, the highest of acclaim in the, in the spy or espionage uh, genre. But, you know, it's... Oh, and this is... I saw... This is written by the guy who did A Cure for Wellness. Oh, really? And The Lone Ranger. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And, and Revolutionary Road. But hmm. anyways, uh, any other thoughts on Red Sparrow? No. Uh, just as a little Chloe aside here, the guy... A uh, young man at the Deutsche Bank or whatever bank that was. Mm-hmm. He's actually the main one of the main characters in Dark. Oh, really? Yeah, the Netflix series, German series mm. on Netflix mm. uh, about time travel and stuff, which I finished watching, which is really good. But anyhow, guy, uh, the character's name is in in Dark is Jonas Conwald, and the actor that plays that character is the bank. Uh, representative that Jennifer Lawrence deals with in the film. It's, right, uh, right, I just right. thought that was interesting. Yeah, a little. Just a little aside. <laughs> Alright, well, out of five stars, Braden? <sighs> two, two and a half, maybe. Two. I'll go four. Um, so that's, Very generous of you. Yeah, well, yeah, that was the exact same thing last week, so Chloe and I were talking about Mute. Uh-huh. She liked mute, and I. She's like, "Well, you go first. I said, "Really?" And I said, "She liked mute." Yeah. Well, some there are some people out there who who do, but uh, I said two, and she immediately go four. <laughs> just what? like just just doubled doubled up whatever I was doing. Um, oh, mute but, was. Ugh. I wish I'd been here last week. I apologize because annihilation of mute that would have been an interesting. I really liked annihilation mute. I thought was horrible. Mm. Um. Uh, I don't know. Anyhow, Red yeah. Sparrow. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's not an easy watch for sure. So no, uh, 
read maybe read listen to this this review or read up about it before you go if you were planning on it but anyways yeah so i guess we can move on to our review of uh steven spielberg's munich from 2005 and we have a clip for that one as well so take a listen did we accomplish anything at all every man we kill has been replaced by worse why cut my fingernails they'll grow back did we kill to replace the terrorist leadership or the Palestinian leadership? You tell me what we've done. You killed them for the sake of a country you now choose to abandon. The country your mother and father built, that you were born into. You killed them for Munich, for the future, for peace. There's no peace at the end of this, no matter what you believe. You know this is true. Here's what I know. Your father is sick, your mother will be alone. You're a Sabra. Your wife and daughter are Sabras. What I came to say is this. Come home. Come to my house for dinner tonight. Come on, you're a Jew, you're a stranger, it's written someplace or other that I'm meant to ask you to come and break bread with me. So? Break bread with me, Ephraim. Okay, so Munich is directed by Steven Spielberg and was released in 2005. And it stars Eric Bana, Daniel Craig, Sarian Hines, uh, Jeffrey Rush... That Matthew Kasovitz. Yep. And the plot synopsis is based on the true story of the Black September aftermath about the five men chosen to eliminate the ones responsible for the fateful day. So this is about the assassinations and the was it 19... 1972 1972 it's... Olympics. Well, they were Israeli athletes. Israelis, yes. They were Israeli yeah. athletes, and they were they were assassinated by Palestinians. I mean, it's the it's the age old Israel Palestine yeah uh, problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget. I don't know what the. I don't think it was the entire Israeli Olympic team. No, I think it was just a good. It was like that a track and field yeah. or something. I forget. I forget exactly which which Olympic team it was that was killed. But part of the Israeli Olympic team was assassinated by uh, Palestinians claiming to be from what the Black September movement. Yeah. So. Uh, and so this one has kind of been f- forgotten by time. I guess it's just uh, it's got huge acclaim when it came out, but it's. It's rare I hear anyone really talking about it. Maybe because it is just such a sensitive story. Well, yeah, it's a difficult film. It's a difficult episode from history. Yeah. I mean, you had Israelis in Germany, and that's that's a fraught relationship to begin with right there, mm-hmm. uh, who were then assassinated by Palestinians. Yeah. So, just all kinds of... of difficult sticky geopolitical yeah and and again this is about the uh Mossad agents who are tasked with killing them mm-hmm. the the uh, assassins and so it is uh, i mean it's not we i chose it just because it's it's not that similar to red Sparrow, but it's some type of a different take on a 
the yeah. hitman assassin story and so well the one thing that i get out of munich that i don't get out of red sparrow is the kind of inner turmoil that these guys have there's a lot of discussion they have a lot of discussion about the morality of what they're doing right algorithm yeah and again you don't get really any of that and Red Sparrow, she goes to the state school for it, and then she's out, and then it's kind of, okay, now I'm getting on with my thing, and I'm totally, all I'm doing is making sure I take care of my mom, and mm-hmm. there's no sort of, is what I'm doing right? Uh, what can I, you know, what am I doing here? Uh, how do I reconcile who I am with mm-hmm. what I've been through? And now I'm struggling to, you know, keep some sense of humanity after having gone through this horrible program yada 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 there's none of that and these guys they they're all you know oh we can't let these palestinians get away with it and we must we must assassinate we must have retribution for what they have done Mm -hmm. and they have this very strong zeal but then as they actually get into the implementation of this this sort of uh assassination mission they start having second thoughts about it and they grapple with the actual moral implications of what they're doing which yeah i mean it's it's absolutely fascinating i mean it's they ha- they have this strong identity that pushes them to do these things but at the same time you know so it's it's uh i mean it's, it's really fascinating i mean it's 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 allegiance to your state love of your state love of your of your people mm-hmm. versus uh larger themes having to do with humanity mm-hmm. and sort of your moral compass as a human being as opposed to your your uh, ideologies and your faiths as as um, a, a a patriot as a um, as a co-religionist as a whatever mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, there's the one scene that kind of sticks out to me is I think it's towards the end of after they have done done what they were tasked to do, you have Eric Bana kind of I guess he's sitting in a it's all I guess it's maybe even what the poster is, but him just sitting in his room, just kind of so quiet. Like, am I a hero for doing this? You know, am I? Yeah. He's because he is grappling, which again, this doesn't it does it much better than Red Sparrow um, in terms of like okay, I've killed these people, does that make me, like, should people cheer in my, my, my name? I am still killing people yeah. very brutally yeah. um, and in the name of something. And so it's like, okay, does this make me any better than than this group of people or than them, and does it... And so it, it is very complex, mm-hmm. fascinatingly complex. So, um, yeah, but it's it's got some really... Uh, well done sequences like i think one of the um scenes where they the Mossad agents um and go into a a a house near this i guess near a harbor or something where they're it's very this very well orchestrated um invasion almost or capture of this guy Mm -hmm. um and i mean it's very well directed like spielberg just he knows how to create a sense of location for you to always know where which characters where what they're doing what they're seeing mm-hmm. and so it's, it does um very great things even just in terms of subtle direction one of the um 
I remember one of the gripping scenes that I've always liked from this was the 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 bit uh, on the houseboat where they oh yeah meet the uh, the female assassin mm-hmm. and just sort of the, the the difficulty the questions that they have. I mean, again, they, they're confronting an assassin and there's just a morality with it, but then they're struggling with you know, oh, it's a woman. Mm-hmm. What are we? What is what is this? Yeah, and you know, um, so it just it's just. Uh, interesting to see how they grapple with these things, and I thought the—I mean—that scene in particular was striking because where 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 was that actually set? Was that was that the Netherlands or something like that? Yeah, it's it yeah, was it's, on a houseboat in the Netherlands, something like that. And I mean, just just the, the 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 environment, the context. It's it's a very sort of beautiful, placid place, but here they are to assassinate uh, this woman, and they just they they just do it. Yeah, just bang, shoot her dead. You know, go on their merry way, and it's it's it's. Despite the environment, it's you know the beauty, the history, all this of the environment. They still go through the, with this very ugly act, mm-hmm. and I mean, uh, scenes like this. I mean, there are quite a few of them in this film. I mean, you know, the successes, the failures, the difficulties. Uh, that they have with with the mission itself, and I mean, in the, in the backstory that they give with regard to, or no, not maybe the backstory, but what is what is I'm looking for the parallel story? Yeah, but like like a parallel story of this person is also doing that, but they're yeah. they're fighting for this cause or for this reason. Yeah, so it's, and, and so how is it? How are are they different at all? Like, yeah, you know, I mean, they're doing this, but at the same time, you know, as opposed to so many of these, you know, vengeance action films that come out where there's no moral struggle. I mean, the the the, the main character or the team is just absolute, uh, absolutely certain in terms of the morality, in terms of of, of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And in this Munich, you, you they're struggling tremendously, yeah, with what they're doing. Or at least most of them are struggling tremendously with with the actions yeah. that they're taking. And um, the, well, it did slightly come to mind uh, *Bridge of Spies*, which Spielberg also did. Yeah. Which there's a scenes between Mark Rylance, who plays the Russian agent, and Tom Hanks, who's the American uh, diplomat. What is he? He's uh, like an attorney or something. Uh, attorney, like a yeah. yeah, some some type. But where they're saying, if I'm fighting for my country for the same reason does that make me why why am i the bad guy yeah like you're you're going out and um deceiving other states and killing people but which i do as well or i'm i'm spying on people which whatever you want to call it and so am i why am i being on trial here shouldn't your guys be you know hung or, mm-hmm. or something for doing the same thing and so it's kind of like in this where they're also they're going out immediately to kill a certain group of people, um, and so it's yeah it's it's very interesting and very well, well done. Yeah. Um, and everyone is good great in it. Like Eric Bana's great. Oh yeah, Di- an early good early very early Daniel Craig. Daniel, yeah, who's very good. It looks amazing too. Mm-hmm. Looks great cinematography and. If I if I remember correctly, I mean I I'd, I'd always known Spielberg and I kind of enjoyed his films, you know, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, mm-hmm. fun as a kid, mm-hmm. but I never really thought of him as a serious director. Mm-hmm. You know, again, he'd done Jaws, he'd done Close Encounters of the Third Kind, he'd done Saving Private Ryan, uh, E.T. Well, Saving Private Ryan was late nineties. Oh, that was before Munich. Yeah. Okay, never yeah. mind then. Yeah. I thought Munich was the first film where I really began to take him seriously, but I think it was Saving Private Ryan. Mm. 
but Munich, I guess, solidified or cemented his place, at least in my mind, as a legitimate director. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, it's kind of a one for me, one for them kind of deal. Like, yeah. he does Munich, and then he'll go do War of the Worlds or something, yeah. you know, which is going to be a big... War of the Worlds was actually pretty good. Oh, yeah. I, I love War of the Worlds, but it's like a kind of a studio film versus a sensitive a personal yeah. kind of story so the blockbuster versus something which is a little more difficult complex adult yeah so i mean almost like uh what's his face francis lawrence for doing he did three hunger games movies all which then, made a ton yeah. of money and it's like okay i want to do a relatively small budget but dark yeah you know movie well, for me i guess you don't get much darker than red sparrow <laughs> yeah yeah that's for sure um, and this one is pretty brutal at times i mean it's not as brutal but it, it is quite violent Mm-hmm. In terms of the um, the killings and, and everything. well, I mean, again, uh, the brutality is there as as a tool to force these 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 discussions of morality amongst the the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think there it's very good to that extent because the the violence is um, it's very brief. It's not overblown. It's not, you know, huge gas tanks going off and blood sprays everywhere. And, you know, it's 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 all just, you know, a small bomb, mm-hmm. uh, a gunshot or two. Um, I mean, they're assassinations. They're not huge acts of war or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So it's... the human element of these things the fact that that these acts are being carried out by humans and their personal struggles with what they're doing yeah i mean that's it's that's the emphasis of the film not the not the assassinations right but the struggle uh i mean again the assassinations but only insofar as there's there's a human component human element of it and, and that human human component is struggling with its role and even the the Mossad agents themselves struggle between each other of like, yeah. no, I'm I'm out. I don't want to. This isn't the way that we should be doing it. Then another guy says, no, we need to take these people down in this way. Yeah. And so it is even in between them, they start to turn on each other at times. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's very complex and dynamic. It's I mean the certainty of some people in in their cause versus the you know. So again, it's it's uh, patriotic. Uh, religious zeal things like this as opposed to um sort of human compassion mm. uh, human morality <clears throat> and i mean it's 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 spielberg i think does an absolutely spectacular job of showing the 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 struggle between these two um very distinct forces these two very distinct um not pathologies but i don't know something like that um but I mean, it's a, it's a remarkably compelling film. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything about it. Again, this is one of the first times I see Spielberg sort of steer away from his from the very sort of Spielbergian touches, mm-hmm. um, which he mostly stayed away from it in Saving Private Ryan. You know, the excessive use of music and, and mm-hmm. very uh, overstaged shots. Yeah, uh, I mean, those of Spies was spectacular. Yeah. And I mean, again, that was when we talked about the post. That was my only problem with the post. Is I thought generally he had, he always gets good performances. I mean, his casts are always really good, anyways. Yeah. But um. 
but just some of the the shots that he did in the post and his use of of the score uh, to manipulate things it's, like that. I mean, he he can get overly sentimental. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah, and he didn't do that in Bridge of Spies. Like he didn't do it too too much with Saving Private Ryan. Mm. I mean, and there was uh, there seemed. There was yeah, there really was. I can't think of anything that comes to mind that he did that in Munich. But yeah, I mean, in, in same private Ryan, I'd say Spielberg touch is the opening and closing. The opening scene and closing, where scenes. you see the old guy. Exactly. Or, I mean, the, the older uh, Matt Damon, <laughs> the older guy. <laughs> that dude. Yeah, that that guy, uh, superfluous guy, um, going to the grave of Tom Hanks's yeah. character, and so it's that's something that feels Spielberg. But yeah, and in this, yeah, it does not feel really at all like a traditional quote-unquote Spielberg movie no uh, which is so. which is why I like it I think when he leaves those sort of tropes or those those techniques manipulate whatever they are when he leaves those behind he does really excellent films mm. like even like War of the Worlds doesn't feel that no. aside from the, the father-son relationship even yeah you well, know father-daughter you mean Tom Cruise or, or, or I mean or and the end with the son oh know. right he's got a son and I keep yeah. thinking about or, uh, or I should say a paternal relationship right. with with children because because yeah. there is even that in this yeah. Eric Bana is kind of the father Daniel Craig is like one of the the lower level followers almost right so. right um, yeah it's Definitely very underrated, and if if you haven't seen it or even heard of it, I would say it's absolutely worth seeing. Give, give it a look. It is a little long. I mean, it's two, two hours, hours and forty something minutes. Yeah, yeah, so it's you gotta uh, be kind of be in for the long haul with this well, one. But I mean, that's the thing is Red Sparrow is two hours and twenty minutes. Yeah, which it's yeah a lot of them, a lot of these movies are quite long, um, for better for or worse. But it's uh, despite it being over very sensitive dark material, it's very entertaining. And so it's, don't. Yeah, it's really well done. I don't know if I'd say entertaining, but it's or, it, it pulls uh, you in. It, it keeps you. Yeah, it keeps you. Not, yeah, it keeps you enthralled. Yeah, even something engaged. like uh, uh, Saving Private Ryan is. Yeah, it's not just dour, sad stuff. I mean, it you know, brutalizes it's... you. The first fifteen minutes of Saving Private mm-hmm. Ryan absolutely brutalizes you. Yeah, but if you can make it past that. I mean, it, it's it's a remarkably rewarding film. Yeah, and you know, I Charlie, who's my boss at work, hasn't seen it. He told really? me that. Yeah, and so I'm going to immediately give him the Blu-ray. Yeah, <laughs> that's something you got to see. He's got to watch it. Charlie has very rarefied taste in film, though. Yeah, so. yeah, but yeah, so uh, it's great movie. Yeah, great, great, great flick. And I mean, uh, I'm not sure what Chloe think. I don't know if she if she's seen it, but we maybe we can ask her next week. But uh, yeah, so that's one. I think it's on, you know, you can rent it on Amazon or something. So give it a look yep. if you have a couple hours <laughs> yeah. to kill. Uh, so, all right, anything else about it? No, no? I mean, it's, it's a good film. I highly recommend it. I, I easily give it four and a half, maybe five stars. I'll, I'll go five. But yeah, I mean, yeah. it's one of my, that's also just one I don't even think of a lot of the time. So I'm like, oh, I love Saving yeah. Ryan. I loved... Uh, What's another one? I, I really like Lincoln. Bridges Spice is great. Yeah. But, but then I'm like, oh, right, Munich. Oh, yeah, that's Munich, like, yeah. again, that doesn't, it doesn't feel I like Spielberg. It's, it's so strange. It sort of flies under the radar. I guess because it's not something in the sense that Bridge of Spies, Saving Private Ryan, you know, that's... Bridge of Spies, America, Cold War, right? Mm. Saving Private Ryan, Greatest Generation, Storming the Beaches in Normandy, you know, America at its, at its greatest. Um, Munich... 
it's something that I mean, particularly for American audiences, it it's not an experience that we live through ourselves. It's not something that is immediately relatable with regard to our history, mm-hmm. uh, because these were this was an Israeli Olympic team or part of an Israeli Olympic team, and it has to do with their struggle in Palestine, and because it's removed both in time and space. Um, it's it's I don't know. Uh, it's an absolutely spectacular film, but I can I can sort of understand, much to my dismay, but I can sort of understand why it didn't resonate as much as say, you know, well Lincoln obviously, mm-hmm. but British Spies, um, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. And so, um, but I mean, it's 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 a spectacular film, mm-hmm. and I think the the moral complexity, the human aspect, the human. Uh, struggle turmoil that it shows in it is is mm. absolutely spectacular yeah. fascinating oh, engrossing. It's, it's written by the guy who did lincoln oh really but yeah these are like the two or three like two scripts he's done or one i think he's done one or two others but huh. yeah, yeah i think he's mostly a playwright but he's kind of spielberg's go-to guy i guess for these historical well he does he does a pretty bang-up job i yeah. gotta say so uh, yeah so well that's the re- the reviews for the show so uh I guess we can just move on to a little bit. And I think shocked and dismayed by that. Yeah. Um, I also think a lot of it is just people just don't give a shit about films. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a... There are times, especially with everything happening within Hollywood now, it's like, do I really want to watch artists who are 26 who have $50 million right. say, oh, I love this other, the, this director so much. He helped me, you know, and yeah. or, um, uh, which I mean, again, I appreciate all the, all the people that every time they get up there or if they do get up there, it's for like here. You, you can have a voice, too. Like Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele's speech, exactly. That's you know, what I was going like, to say. Uh, or uh, the guy who, a few years back, The Imitation Game, who was talking about well, I, his, I, his suicide and arming his uh, attempt. I was just thinking suicide. about Jared Leto's speech yeah. for accepting, supporting actor for Dallas Buyers Club, what yeah. was it, three, four years ago. Uh, I thought his speech was very good because he was talking about the LGBTQ community uh, and obviously Jordan Peele's speech this year. Um... I mean, there have been some very outstanding speeches, but mm-hmm. I mean, I think people are getting a little fed up with. I mean, it's they're boring to watch, anyways. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, even if you have a good host, they're yeah. just boring. I to mean, watch. I, the, the things I like are kind of you get to see clips of, or especially with like I thought the sound and the technical, or the, just the technical warts in general are kind of interesting because you get to see like they'll emphasize the sound, and so right. like they showed clips of Dunkirk, and you see, you hear kind of amplified bits of the sound and see you see how complex and intricate it is yeah and stuff like that i pretty much just watch it for that yeah uh or uh, you should get to see five seconds of an amazing performance right you know um and so it's mostly stuff for that um other than that i'm it's just kind of and eh, i'll i think i'll have it on in the background yeah. while i'm doing work or something it's, you know it's it's boring i think a lot of people uh particularly following the, the hashtag me too well i mean last year uh was it last year or was it two years ago chris rock hosted and it was the oscar so white that was thing. 
I think that was two years ago at least. Um, I mean, it, 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 the Oscars need to have... There, there needs to be some politicization of it. There needs to be some use of it as a tool to promote uh, certain ideals. Mm-hmm. That being said, that also unfortunately has the effect of, I think, pushing some people away. Because yeah. they just want to go to it for the pageantry, for the gala aspect, mm-hmm. which doesn't interest me at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I can see the appeal, like like someone who loves fashion, gosh, the, the dresses are incredible. I just want right. to see it for that. The, sure. the whole Joan Rivers side of you know, Yeah, no, no judgment there. Um, That's fine. I but, don't care. Yeah, you know, I mean, what... But, but I mean, I think a lot of it is just film. Film, film in general is losing its luster. Luster. Mm-hmm. People just don't go to movies anymore, except for the big, huge blockbusters, your Star Wars, your Marvel. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about it is that people will go out see these things, like the Star Wars: Last Jedi, which I still love and I always will love. But people go to see it simply so they can say they saw it and then bash the shit out of it. Yeah. And it's not as though they watch it with an open mind so that they can then afterwards say, you know, this really exceeded my expectations. I think this is really... They go in with the preconceived notion, I'm going to hate this film. It's garbage. I hate it. I don't like what Ryan Johnson did here. And then they watch the film and, and they feel as though watching the film legitimizes there. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to have something to rant about on Twitter. Right. <laughs> and 40 characters or less. I mean, it's just, know, it's, it's just, ooh, I hate this film, but you hated it from the get-go. You hated mm-hmm. it before you even stepped foot in the theater. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, also... Watching it does not legitimize your point of view if your preconceived notions don't shift at all after watching the film. Yeah. And it's also, like, with um, the with everything being so sensitive now, which, again, I'm so glad all these people are being called out. That's great. But, like, anything anyone says is can be twisted. Right. Like, a speech, someone is... And also, you have to think about it. You're on stage in front of a huge crowd and then millions of people. Sometimes you're not going to be the most well-spoken person ever. No, it's, and, it's a nerve-wracking... I'm not yeah. saying you should just start bashing people, but if someone says something that's slightly sensitive, it's like, oh, their career is probably going to be over for a few. Yeah. You know, it's just like people... Or it gets so, I hate using such a blunt term, but like butthurt over this stuff. Like it's just so, uh, it's so, everything is so sensitive and that people are so um, willing to completely ostracize someone for one thing they say at an award show. Or, yeah. or um, and again, of course, not to say that, that what they've done, if it's like a sexual thing, that's not right at all. But like yeah. just someone getting up there and talking and saying something that may be a little off key but yeah i mean I, I i thought the shape of water was that i'm glad that's the one that well of all the crowd pleasers that's the one that won even though i didn't love it but yeah i didn't love it either i mean i was I'm so hoping glad. dunkirk would win but well it, it got the technical long awards. shot yeah i mean all those films dunkirk blade runner won well, a bunch of the technical roger awards. deacons finally got his oscar for sim- the oh, blade, for cinematography blade yeah. runner 2049 thank god this for is, that this i mean is, the cinematography was outstanding for it, it was his 14th nomination apparently <laughs> wow. to, i mean no he didn't like no country for old men skyfall sicario he should know. have easily gotten it for any any yeah. of those oh yeah any of those but he's finally finally gotten it yeah. so i'm glad for that um yeah, I don't. I mean, it, it, it could any number of reasons. I think that that viewership is dropping, and I don't think it's any 
particular one, the question is which one among all those reasons is the most mm-hmm. uh, most impactful. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some people who is it just that they, that they, I mean, they'll go see Thor. They're not going right. to see the post. They're not going to see the water. post. They're like, not going to go see those. Shape of Water. I don't care. They only mm-hmm. haven't even heard of Lady Bird, mm-hmm. and they're uh, like. And I heard all all these people are like sexual assaulters. You know, I don't, I don't want to yeah. just go watch that. Well, I don't want to. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to watch something about the film industry because they're all sexual predators. Yeah, anyways. they're all rich, and you know, I, yeah. I'm not. Well, I mean, so. and, and I think that's part of it too. Is is which I think actually would be kind of a good thing, but uh, the extent to which people are sort of um, exasperated, exhausted by this industry patting itself on the back constantly for mm. how wonderful it is. Yeah. Which I think it's good. I mean, I, that would be a humbling thing. If these people are generating this kind of money and have this kind of celebrity and money, and then they just run around handing one another awards, maybe it's just me, but I find that a bit overmuch. Mm. Um, so, I mean, if, if people are withdrawing from it because they think it's a little self-congratulatory, mm-hmm. Uh, that's humbling, and I think that's good. That being yeah. said, I think you know the way to remedy that somewhat is is the politicization of the Oscars, using the Oscars, whoops, as a uh, as a platform, as a soapbox to get across um, ideas of considerable importance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, discussing. Um, you know, uh, minorities in the entertainment industry, uh, the 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 um, strengthening the LGBTQ community, uh, trying to do away with 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 um, sexual predation mm-hmm. uh, within specifically within the film industry, the entertainment industry, but more broadly, obviously, yeah. Um, those are important things, but again, also in doing that, you have you run the risk of pushing people away. So I mean, it's it's a very fraught situation. Anything that you do, I think, is going to wind up pushing people away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the only way to avoid that would be just a lot of apolitical nonsense, mm-hmm. and then then it just it just it loses any kind of significance it might have culturally, politically, yeah. and also it's in terms of people wanting to watch it just for fun. It's like all the jokes over the last few years have become so relevant, almost mm-hmm. over-necessarily timely. And so it's like, because my manager, Charlie, was saying, you know, it's just, it's so rare I watch stand-up comedy specials anymore because it's all so, like, politically timely. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, I already know that everything with Trump and the world is terrible. I don't, I just want to watch a fun comedy special. Yeah. And instead of him ranting about Trump and saying, "Oh yeah, this guy, got this we had this shooting, and this this guy said this," it's like I think some people, even myself included, I just want to watch a couple hours of like a celebration of movies rather than, "Oh yeah, here here we go about Trump again. Here we go about yeah. this horrible massacre that just happened." Like I, I know that's happening, but and of course maybe it's good for some people who watch. You're like, oh right, like that's. Affecting people, but I think for the most part, it's getting a little oversaturated. And I maybe I mean again, that's that's the problem. Is I feel if they've got that they've got opinions, and if they've got the 
if they've got the platform from which they can mm-hmm. which make their commentary, make their opinions known, do something in order to try to to to, to push uh, to push opinion, to push action in in a in a good direction. I think they should take that. But I mean, it's difficult. Some people are getting tired of that, as you just pointed out. Some people are getting tired of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they just want to change from the terrible world that yeah. we're having to live in, you know. So it's like, you know, which I mean, I appreciate them for calling out. I mean, should call out the sexual assaulters and the president and all these people. But at times, I just want it to be about the movies, you know, I just, like the montages that they do of films over the years and uh, of a certain style or element. I just want to watch those. Right. I don't want to have to be constantly reminded of, oh, God, we just had 30 people shot yesterday. Yeah. You know, it's just, even though that's incredibly important in the big scheme of things. Yeah. You know. Maybe keep one thing in the news and then keep the entertainment to the entertainment. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult. I, I still feel, even even if you're inundated by those things, even if you if it gets to the point that you're, you're exhausted and it just psychologically, it's it's just, it's too... Too much to bear. I still think it's important to oh, yeah. use that totally that platform because otherwise it becomes. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like yeah. I mean, I agree that there should always be some of that. Um, and so maybe it's just you know, it's hard. It's, to, it's a hard thing to say, but I again, that's kind of what we're doing. We're it's supposed to be a fun movie talk show. Yeah, it's supposed <laughs> to be a fun movie talk show. So we're kind of doing the same thing. But anyways, but yeah, it was a it was a, a kind of widely spread in terms of awards and. I'm glad Dunkirk got a few things, and um, I'm just glad Lady Bird. Did. <laughs> I was I was a little uh, sad Christopher Nolan didn't get it for best director. Yeah, because that's mean, like that's such a felt. I like Guillermo del Toro. Should Shape of Water have won? Absolutely not. Yeah, I'm but then again, if you look at the field of what he was up against, yeah, it was just everything was just so mediocre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget was Florida Project even in there? No, no Willem Dafoe got nominated, but yeah. Um, he didn't win. No. Uh, but I was... Because, like, Dunkirk, as I've said before, is such a... It's on an epic scale, like, in terms of everything he had to put together mm-hmm. to make that actually be coherent. Yeah. You know? But... Well, can't really, I all. still think Blade Runner was the best film. That's, yeah, that's, and that's, it should, that should have been nominated. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, I thought the the script, the acting, I mean, it just the, the whole film, I've said this before... I'll keep it, it, it was just seamless there was nothing really horrendously glaringly bad mm-hmm. about the film uh, is it the perfect film no I still think it was far better far better than a lot of the things that were out there definitely. this year though yeah, and definitely. I'm sorry Shape of Water had some technically good aspects by technically i mean you know cinematography and the visual effects and that yeah. kind of thing not technically like technically that's a <laughs> technically that's a film yeah no i mean like technically as in yeah the production and all the that. design yeah. and things like that but um it's just the story i found to be so banal yeah so banal beauty and the beast with creature from the black lagoon and that's that's what i keep calling it and that's what i always will call it it just it did i i don't felt as though it really pushed any boundaries or did anything new Mm -hmm. uh blade runner i thought did a lot of really fascinating stuff and but again that's not the people's favorites yeah well that's that's the problem is it's it's a science fiction film and i think science fiction films are still for a while yet going to be sort of uh 
what's the word I'm looking for? Classified or treated as or shunted to sort of second tier. I mean, it's, films. It, I mean, it's almost like saying like if if somehow if late uh, not Lady Bird uh, Red Sparrow was a five out of five for you. It's like yeah. that film is not going to be even if you loved it, even if a lot of people love it, that's not going to be nominated for a no, best picture. No. You know, especially yeah. in today's age. Right. Um, so it's just like. Even if it's fascinating, like the floor project or Blade oh, and that's the other thing I meant to say earlier with regard to Red Sparrow is I think you're right, and I do give Jennifer Lawrence a lot of credit for. She's uh, not. She's not the people's favorite right now, and she's no. okay with that. And she's okay with that. I I still think she's an outstanding actress. I mean, go and look at any of the stuff that she did for David O. Russell. Or go go and watch Winter's Bone. Mm-hmm. Right outstanding performance. I mean, she can act. She's got chops. Yeah. And I appreciate that she's taking a lot of chances with her career, mm-hmm. with the roles that she's taking. Uh, and I think this role, even though I think a lot of the, the, the script was sort of fell flat, mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, it's still a very daring thing to do. Yeah. And it's a much more mature role than, you know, oh, okay, well, I did the, I did the Hunger Games film, so now I'm just going to now I'm just going to go do some rom-coms and, you know, mm. some other bland shit. Yeah. Um, so, anyhow, kudos to you, J-Law. Keep it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really, really like performances. She's going to be anyhow. in uh, Adam Kay's new movie, the guy who did The Big Short. She's oh. Sometime this year. Oh. I can't remember. It's some true story, I think. But hmm. anyways. Because Big Short was outstanding. Yeah. Love that film. Uh, but Oscars, anyhow, I don't know. What 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 did maybe maybe somebody out there listening has some idea as to what 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 is causing this yeah. huge drop yeah. off? Is Don't it just the podcast gmail dot com? Feel free to send us your send us your thoughts. Yeah, but I mean, is what what is it though? I mean, is it is it the the hashtag Me Too, and people feel somewhat creeped out by that? Is it is it that people are tired of? Uh, the film industry being this sort of massive thing and then patting itself on the back with these Oscars? Mm-hmm. Is it is it the over-politicization mm-hmm. of I the think, Oscars? Or is, it, or is it just that it's, it's, it's bad and they need to change the format and do something else with the Oscars because it's just getting silly now? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard, hard to say, but... Yeah, I mean, not a not. Or the last one I meant was is is it just the crop of films this year just are uninteresting? I I, I think that's one too, definitely. I'm sorry that the films the films were just. <laughs> what wasn't wasn't the best year? No, no. I um, mean, I, I I think the strongest of the field for a lot of the films that got the recognition for for best picture and best actor actress and those sorts of things, three billboards, and I like three billboards, but I still don't feel like it was the. St- the best film to come out this year mm-hmm. i still don't feel like it was in terms of oscars for other years i think of films oh geez i mean the year the wrestler came out and the wrestler actually didn't win which i'm still crushed by mickey Rourke didn't win for that which i'm still crushed by mm-hmm. but it lost to milk mm. which is outstanding it's a remarkable film. And then you look at the films that came out this year, and Three Billboards was the best. And the, I, I thought it captured a lot of the pathos of Westerns and Samurai Flicks, and I thought it was really good in that sense. And the, some of the dialogue was snappy, but I thought some of it was a bit lazy in terms of the writing and was a bit lazy in some some regards because it was a little too, you know, oh, let's throw expletives at everybody. 
Mm-hmm. You know, but I thought the performances were outstanding. I thought overall the story, how the story was developed, how the characters were developed, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, you know, Ladybird was cute, was charming, didn't break any new ground, didn't really push any buttons. I mm-hmm. mean, it was completely autobiographical and didn't really. It wasn't telling a story. It wasn't creating a story out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't challenging in that sense. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was cute. It was charming. I really like Laurie Metcalf. Um, and uh, Shape of Water, as I said, the story, again, boring. Phantom Thread, uh, some of the storytelling I thought and that was excellent. But then the climactic bits were just so overdone as to be hilarious. Mm-hmm. But all I got to say is I'm generally happy with how things played out with the winners. Uh, Roger Deakins, obviously. Yeah, for that's for probably the only one I really care about. And yeah. Dunkirk. But. Yeah, and Dunkirk winning for what got both, sound. Both of the sound ones. Right. And I think one more. Yeah, but. which makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, makes the movie a lot of times. Yeah, so. exactly. But, I mean, uh, if you look at the big... Uh, Shape of Water winning Best Picture, it's inoffensive, but I really don't care. Yeah. I'm just happy Sam Rockwell and Francis McDormand both won. Yeah. Um, I'm really happy Gary Oldman won. Uh, I'm really happy Jordan Peele won. I really need yeah. to see Get Out now. Uh, I'm a little sad that Faces Places didn't win. Yeah. I do need to go see Icarus now, at I guess. At least it got in there. You yeah. Know, but... Um, <clears throat> What I still find puzzling is, and this is just like a little personal gripe, which nobody else is going to give two shits about, but uh, Kobe Bryant winning for Deer Basketball? Hmm. That was that was interesting. I mean, did you see the... I, I didn't see the movie, actually, but... Uh, did, you, did you see any of the Oscar no, animated no, I, Oscar shorts? And I, I missed the showing at the Chelsea, so... Um... Again, that's I mean, the, the two people's French favorite. ones. The two uh, French know. ones, uh, Negative Space and Garden Party, were way better. Mm-hmm. Way better. I quite liked. I, I was actually struck by by how how poignant I thought Deer Basketball was, mm-hmm. uh, and I really liked the animation style. Uh, that being said, I think it still pales in comparison to um, Garden Party and Negative Space. Negative Space in particular, I thought, was was just absolutely beautiful to watch. I mean, it was very... I, I got choked up. It was a beautiful thing to watch, sort of uh, almost like a visual poem. Mm-hmm. Um, there was actual dialogue. There was a narration. Uh, but I thought it blended so well with the visuals and the stop-motion animation and how it was all presented. I thought it was just beautiful. And Garden Party, just the story, how it how the story unfolds in that is just astounding. Mm, no I mean, dialogue, no narration, but it tells a story in a really compelling visual manner. Mm-hmm. Um, so why do basketball? I don't know. It's, um, I mean, it's perplexing. Almost, it's almost like saying, uh, like, I mean, again, with the people's favorite, like if with Fantastic Mr. Fox, the type of film that is, compared, like, if that came out in the same year as Coco, mm-hmm, even if people, even if critics and a lot of audiences love both, you're like, huh, I wonder which one's going to win. It's going to go to Coco. With the, with, the short, with the short animated ones, it's like, okay, who in here is noteworthy? Yeah. And it's like, oh, Kobe Bryant, of course. Which yeah, I guess to maybe draw some people in. Yeah, so. which, again, film 
I haven't seen it, but I'm sure it's, it's good. Sure it's good. It's good. So it's nothing good. against him personally. It's just like, oh, that's kind of. Well, I could see that coming. To put it into a little more personal angle, I mean, the thing that bothers me, uh, the year of the hashtag Me Too, right? Mm-hmm. And Kobe Bryant wins. Oh, yeah, that's true. Right? I find that a little strange. <laughs> yeah. I find that a little strange. Yeah, it does, but it doesn't seem like it's causing much of a stir, but. Well, that's the thing that anyways. I'm curious about is, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know how the issue, the whole sexual assault allegations were resolved a few years back. Yeah, me neither. But then the year of the hashtag me too, and then Kobe Bryant wins and nobody's said anything about that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if it was resolved in a manner that his innocence, his absolute innocence was proved, then okay. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's incorrect of me to dredge up history like that, but it still it still leaves a, a very odd taste. Yeah, for sure. So, anywho, yeah, but uh, that's my own little personal gripe. Is is <laughs> is Dear Basketball was touching. I thought it was really good, but was it the Oscar? I mean, I don't know. I still look Garden Party negative space. Just my, just my personal opinion. Yeah. Well, that's my personal, what, my personal beef. That's what we're all about here, so it's okay. So, uh, all right. Well, I guess that's about it for news. Uh, aside from the Mary Poppins Returns trailer. Oh God, no! <laughs> just, just. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see it for Emily Blunt. Other than that, I'm not too. No, I won't see it at all. <laughs> what if we uh, review it, Braden? No, <laughs> I'll miss that week. All right, that's fair. Uh, okay, so uh, let's move on to some listener mail. So, the, like I said earlier. The Film Buds podcast at gmail.com is the address that you can reach us. And we, we're we also on Twitter, Facebook. Um, oh, one thing I do want to mention, mention it somewhat last week, but we are on a lot of other media sites now. So we are on Stitcher.com. We're on TuneIn, um, the app Podcast Land, as well as iTunes and a lot of other places. And so if you can't listen to us on iTunes, but you would still like to listen to us, we are on a lot of different places online. So you can feel free to check us out there, too. Uh, anyways, so we'd love to hear from you. Whatever you have to say, feel free. And this one is from Abigail. No, no location, but it says, Hi, Film Buds. I recently read an interesting article that talked about masterworks of film editing. Editing, to me, is a very underappreciated aspect of movie making that I think a lot of audiences don't really take into account. It is, after all, how a movie is put together along with the director, of course, but how the story is structured is still very essential to making a a strong film. What are your favorites or best examples of interesting or impressive editing that I would would be good for me to check out? Sorry for a tough question, but interested in your thoughts. Awesome show. Listen each week. Abigail. So, so again, editing, which um, probably a lot of people out there who aren't, don't care about it or just um, don't think much about, it, but it is kind of how a film is put together. Like watch something like Dunkirk, right? It kind of relies on editing a lot. That's the tricky thing. I'll just say that's the tricky thing about editing is if it's done right, you, it doesn't. It doesn't yeah. even come up. Yeah, like the best editor is someone, or the best type of editing is you don't notice it. Yeah, it's clean. I mean, even when there are jumps in terms of, of what's going on, the, the action, the, the, the dial, whatever. should feel seamless. It should feel seamless, and exactly. The other. So editing is really only one of those things that you notice when it's done poorly. Mm-hmm. 
if it's done well, you, you, it doesn't even dawn on you, which which is sort of the downfall of editors everywhere, I think, is the better they are, the less acclaim they're going to get because they're so good at their jobs, you don't even notice, mm-hmm. you know, the, the structure of the film just seems perfect, and so you don't even notice, oh, this is, what the hell is this? <laughs> this is garbage. What the, what is going on here? I can't follow any of yeah. you know. Like Michael Bay editing. <laughs> like Michael Bay editing, like right. <laughs> if you want to see it on how not to edit a movie, go go watch, you know, the Transformer films. He said it, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, on the, the last night, there were five editors Right. Yeah. Oh my God. Like yeah. everyone was given a chunk of the movie. Like no wonder it's a mess. Yeah. You know. Um. Anyways. So, um. Yeah. So actually, I thought of a few. Uh, and Brandon, you can always chime in here. So one we were talking about before, and this is an obvious one for me, but I actually think the editing is essential to how the movie, or how it came out as it did. But Mad Max Fury Road. Right. There's so little. Um, story, but I mean, in a good way. But there's so much action going mm-hmm. on, and so many moving parts in every scene that if there wasn't a good editor there, it would be an absolute mess. Right. But you, but it, it needs to be focused and centralized, and it is. Like you can follow, you can watch Fury Road knowing nothing about it, and or who's involved, and like you can follow it pretty right. easily. Yeah. Even when there's thirty cars driving in between each other you know exactly almost like what we were talking about with Spielberg and Munich Mm -hmm. you know exactly where everyone is and what the focus is at the time so um, then we were talking about the big short very well edited just kind of constant intercuts between uh, data and just dialogue and then news and yeah and it has so many different parallel stories going on at the same time because it's talking about the the 2008 financial collapse occurring and about all these different people viewing it following it uh you've got steve carell's character you've got christian bale's character you've got uh, brad pitt's character and just the way in which all these sort of disparate storylines are interwoven i think you're right yeah. big short the yeah. editing job on that was we actually should, uh, good re- re-review that that'd be a good yeah. discussion um but yeah that is kind of a more noticeable type of editing where it's like you think about it afterwards like oh yeah there was a ton of cuts right that may be distracting to some people as they watch it but yeah i mean how do you handle something with with so many different sort of parallel ongoing storylines mm-hmm. and i think they did a good job with that because it did you never really got confused as to how things were unfolding, and you all each each of the characters, each of the storylines had. You saw how they connected, but each one was also sort of distinct. It never felt as though, who is this? What what's going on here? Who am I following? Why am I back with this guy? Mm-hmm. And so again, it was. Um, I don't want to say perfectly seamless because again, so much stuff going on that mm-hmm. obviously there were seams, but. I think it grafted everything together in such a way that it, it it was never ambiguous, it was never confusing. It was a solid one piece film. Right. So um, and then I also pretty much any especially recently, any David Fincher movie, because he's so particular. Mm-hmm. Like if you think of the social network, the montages in that are incredible. Right. Like where it's that you see all these people hacking and doing showing all this data and you you know exactly what's happening even, mm-hmm. even if you don't know what the character is doing you know where it's going or right. or how it's flowing right um and so then to go out the dragon tattoo as well there's uh, especially towards the end there's just constant 
moving parts, papers, and files shown. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to say, oh, I know, I don't know who that person is. It's like, that doesn't matter. You're showing, you're watching how the character is doing what they're doing. Right. Um, then gravity is one. Mm-hmm. You know, just, you know, you're out in space. It's easy to get lost. Right. Obviously, a ton, ton of moving pieces. But again, you're very centralized and focused. Um, then I think drive is one as well. Just the, in terms of the, the yeah. especially with anything with driving, is very beautifully seamless. Yeah. And well, it's 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 one of those things where it's uh, interior exterior. You've got the person in the car driving. You've got the person out of the car uh, engaging monologue and other various actions, or uh, pardon, dialogue and other various actions. And so, yeah, I mean, it's sort of interior exterior, mm-hmm. um, and just how they could put those two together. Yeah. Um, and then also another one I thought of was Black Swan. Because mm-hmm. any with anything dealing with the dancing is very kinetic. And it's very easy to get lost in someone twirling this, yeah. this way, that way. But it's very, again, it's focused and it's beautifully put together. Um, and then Rush, which have you seen Rush? The Ron Howard racing movie? Oh, uh, uh, with Chris, uh, Chris, Chris Hemsworth. Hemsworth and... Uh, Who's the guy that uh, Daniel Brule. Yeah, Daniel Brule. Uh, the race, the racing especially, is very beautifully put together. Yeah, no, that. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I've heard it's good, pretty good. It's but, a good one. Um, but, I mean, again, it's, it's hard to say exactly what film is well edited and what's. I mean, you can say what film is not well edited, but well, it's interesting that you say Black Swan because I mean that reminds me of Repulsion by Roman Polanski. Yeah. Uh, and Roman Polanski's films are all spectacular editing. Mm-hmm. I mean, particularly his his thrillers like Knife in the Water, Rosemary's Baby. I mean, just the way in which the films are put together, it's uh, uh, it builds tension, it builds anxiety, mm-hmm. um, which absolutely spectacular. Yeah, um, how how those films are edited. I mean, particularly Repulsion, the scenes uh, where who is it? I believe it's. Is it Catherine Deneuve? No, Bridget Bardem. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's Catherine Deneuve. I can't and remember. Repulsion. Yeah, um, but the scenes where she's sort of cringing in terror of of, a, of an attacker—is the attacker there? Is he not there? Mm-hmm. And just the way it's edited, you, you it keeps you puzzled. You don't know what exactly is going on. Whether it's all contained within her mind or if there is somebody there, mm-hmm. it's really, really astoundingly good. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we were talking about uh, a couple of weeks back about what was it, Rashomon? Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, that's Redbeard. It. Ra- Rashomon, yeah. Rashomon, and because uh, that has a lot of intercutting between people giving testimonies, right, and then the actual events. They're mostly non-linear, right? Exactly. So. And so, I mean, the editing job and just how that's used to portray. The, the the recollections of each of these distinct you know mm. people and how the the differences in the recollections i mean the editing job in that i thought was you know curacao any curacao film the editing job is always really really good yeah so um, uh yeah so i mean it's it's hard to say always exactly you, you know or something that would immediately come to mind but i mean i would challenge people to if you don't know much about editing or if you're curious at all just maybe the next movie you go see in the theater or watch on Netflix, kind of maybe pay attention attention to how a film is 
put together just because it can be very um, if you take notice to it uh, intentionally it can be interesting to um, watch and to think about and so um, uh, especially with blockbusters nowadays it can get very complicated and not in a good way and so you yeah. can kind of notice oh my god I can't follow it it's over, over, over sensitizing um, but other times it's uh, uh, be- beautiful to to see how it's done so mm-hmm. um, but yeah so hopefully that gives you some uh, ones to maybe either check out or think about so thanks for the email Abigail and then the other one this is actually talking about the Oscars so from Tony in Ontario so he says hey hey buds wanted to talk about some of the years past overrated winners in my opinion of course, I understand the winners can be deemed that because of politics and the people's choice, so so to speak. However, a few ones I'm having problems with are historical biopics like Darkest Hour and King's Speech that mostly hinge on the central performance to gain that status that it does at the Oscars. Like the two just mentioned, I found both of those films and others to be quite generic aside from those, those central performances. Are you getting sick of, of trends like this too, or is there a certain type of Oscar-nominated slash winner that you hate seeing pop up each and every year? Thanks so much for the work you do, Tony. Well, I, I would agree with some of the. I wasn't a huge fan of Darkest Hour. You, I mean, you, you liked it, but I liked it. I did. I did. I think it was absolutely spectacular. No, did I? Do I think it was you know best picture of the year? Absolutely not. Do I think Gary Oldman should have won? Absolutely yes. Should they have won for makeup? Absolutely yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, particularly with with what they did in terms of the prosthetics for Gary Oldman. I mean, astounding. And yeah, he looked very much Winston Churchilly. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, but again, I would say like, even though I love Lincoln, you could ease. I mean, some people I'm sure could put that film into that that category because again, yeah. not nominated has a huge central. Uh, I can't talk central performance, um, and so it's. I, I'd say that's one, maybe a trend that's getting a little tiring, but. I like history, so I'm mostly open to those. Yeah, well, that's my thing, is, um, is I really enjoy those films. And a lot of times, they're we're very well-crafted. Yeah. Um, I, don't I mean, think, that's the problem, yeah. is a lot, big performers really like taking on those roles, because it's interesting. Mm-hmm. So, I'm sorry. I'm, oh, no, no, I, mean, I was going to say, I don't think King's Speech should think it should have won Best Picture like it did, but... Yeah. Um, I mean, it's... Well... The past few years, there's been just tons. It's been uh, Oscars have, in particular, been inundated with these things. You had Theory of Everything, and then you also had Eddie Redmayne again in The Danish Girl, mm-hmm. right? Which is an, another one, exactly like another yeah. historical, yeah, kind of biopic. And they're, I didn't, I thought those were both overhyped, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you get something like Imitation Game with Benedict Cumberbatch, which I thought was actually quite good. Mm-hmm. And the ending in particular of, of that I thought was spectacular. Instead of just ending with, a, you know, uh, yay, we win the war, and thank you, Alan Turing, you're a wonderful man. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, it ends there, and then it has like a little screen crawl or a little end card, and it says, oh, and by the way, uh, Alan Turing was chemically castrated because still you know illegal to be homosexual in britain at the time mm-hmm. it actually depicts his gradual sort of atrophying withering away during the chemical castration process and i mean it it really i mean it was the film itself was very compelling and i think it, it was very 
a brave choice to show that at the end. Um, and so you get films like Imitation Game, which really do, I think, some outstanding stuff. Mm-hmm. But then there are also the sort of like goofy, cheesy, sensationalistic things, which is more like Danish Girl and yeah, and uh, I mean Theory of Everything. And you just, they're kind of goofy, fun, fluffy films. They're well made, but they're not outstanding. So I mean, yeah. that's each again. Should a genre just by default be put into the Oscars? No, but I think there are each individual film should be uh, reviewed on its own merits. Yeah, I mean, I I'm a performance <clears throat> kind of guy, and so I usually will even if the uh, <coughs> other elements of the film aren't amazing. If someone's like Daniel Day Lewis and Lincoln, or um, I mean, I, I do love Colin Firth and The King's Speech, and so I'll usually give those movies a pass in one way or the other if it's in a unique, amazing performance. Yeah. Which in Darkest Hour it is, but other I just found like everything else to be just so kind of bland and underwhelming that I mean, I didn't hate, I, didn't, I liked it all right, but wasn't my favorite but well i mean we were just talking earlier about munich right? yeah and that was an absolutely outstanding film mm-hmm. and i honestly thought that was best picture worthy yeah. i don't know what was up against that year and i think it was what 2005 and i yeah. can't remember yeah, that far back me neither but um milk you know i was upset the wrestler didn't win but if it was going to lose to anything you know milk at least i feel somewhat Milk was an outstanding film, and it was a, a dramatization of a historical event. You know, Harvey Milk out in San Francisco, um, uh, openly gay, running for for elected office, and at a time when that was you know unheard of. And uh, I thought it was an absolutely compelling film, brilliant piece of filmmaking. You know, I'm still sad the wrestler didn't win a lot of stuff. I'm still sad Mickey Rourke didn't win, but. Um, I mean, if it's going to lose to anything, milk, yeah, because it was such a well done film. And so again, you, you there are, I think, some films that that are more interested in depicting, uh, depicting the 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 moment in time, the scenario, the 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 historical um, uh, episode. That, that they're trying to portray, I think they're actually more interested in portraying that well and truthfully than they are in sort of being Oscar bait. And that's the problem is some of these historical things, you, you almost get the feeling that they're they're going strictly for Oscar bait. Yeah. Like Lion last year. Yes, definitely. Oscar baby. Yeah. I would totally agree. I, I, I didn't hate that movie, but it, it felt very, so much I, like it had that Oscar sentimentality right. to it, that very obvious sentimentality. I didn't, just I like, didn't uh, hate it. It was not nearly as good as 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 everybody it was seemed made to out to be. So, yeah, yeah. Um, that's I mean, the problem. Is there's so many of these Oscar bait films now. You you watch it, and you go, eh, yeah, it's Oscar bait. Yeah, I mean, I, I there's not a type of film that I see in the Oscars every year that I'm getting tired of. It's just I wish they would take more risks. Like yeah. that that would that's something that would get people more Watching interested. Again. Like if the, if the Florida yeah. Project got nominated for Best Picture, or or if uh, Blade Runner did, they're like, oh wow, they're actually like taking not uh, just the ones the crowds are gonna love. Right. It's like 
yeah, Blade Runner is actually amazing too. Yeah. Um, just like um, how you think Shape of Water is amazing. It's mm -hmm. amazing in its own way. And so people would, they just need to take more risks in what they're doing and the choices they, need they to, make, you know. They need but, to take more risks in terms of what they recognize and I think the the filmmakers need to take more risks yeah, in terms but just of like um, they just need old, to recognize filmmakers that take risks yeah or it's just like old rich white guys you know that's not what they they love yeah. the the historical biopic about Winston Churchill you yeah know? exactly um, which I mean it was good and I, yeah. I enjoyed watching it yeah, and Gary Oldman that film in particular but uh, it's I think it was a lot better than some other films but it did definitely have an Oscar bait sort of quality to it mm -hmm. and I think a lot of these films I mean even Imitation Game as much as I liked it and I thought it was it did take a few chances it has that Oscar sentiment it's quality to it still very much had an Oscar bait sort of aspect to it mm -hmm. um, but um milk if you watch milk i never got the sense that it was trying to be oscar big mm -hmm. right uh munich you watch munich you don't get the sense that it was trying to be oscar big these are films that are attempting to 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 accurately portray uh the episodes the historical episodes that they're that they're dealing with mm -hmm. and so i don't know i mean it's a tough category it's a it's a tough call um if the film is good, I, I don't care what genre it is. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's the problem is I, you know, there are science fiction films, which I think are outstanding, that don't receive the, the Oscar. Again, it's it's a lot of political stuff. Like, if you go and get any of the trade mags in the couple of months leading up to the Oscars, look at a variety. Go buy, like, an actual print copy of Variety before the Oscars. Mm -hmm. And half the friggin' magazine is just filled with advertisements for your consideration, mm -hmm. Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour. <laughs> I mean, that's that's all it is. It's so political and it's so bullshit. Mm -hmm. uh, and because of that, you know, the the bigger films with the bigger grosses, the bigger box office, the bigger, you know, they're going to be the ones that you know take out these huge full page ads. And and so there is a you know, as long as there's some sort of commercial aspect. To the film industry and commercial recognition box office recognition of these films in terms of you know more bigger grosses and so forth yeah then i think there's going to continue to be more of an emphasis on these sort of oscar bait style films mm -hmm. i mean which, and also, unfortunately a lot of the historical ones are yeah and, and it's even like just going up against the the, the oscar voters themselves there is that article i don't know if you saw it but there's an anonymous one that said get out which did get nominate for best picture was not oscar material yeah which is again like yeah it's it's not a uh kind of comforting pleasing film but well for mo most part everybody loved it yeah not, not just critics but most audiences too and so but then again like okay well why is that not because it's too uh i don't know mainstream or something like it, yeah. it or is it you know it, which that's ridiculous it's it's totally oscar worthy i think yeah. but well i mean it, it was nominated yeah and it won the, the best and original it won screenplay. For best so. original screenplay so it is getting uh, you know they are doing some of that in terms of of branching out and taking a few risks yeah which i think is good um and you had logan actually which was nominated and i mean it, this was the first uh comic book film 
nominated for original screenplay, right? Mm. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Dark Knight may have been. For original screenplay? Or, or, I mean, well, I think it was in the adapted category, because it is based off the... Oh, it is, right, okay, adapted yeah. screenplay. Okay, yeah. Because it's based off of the Old Man Logan comics. Yeah. I think, the, I think the, I mean, the Dark Knight got nominated for Best Picture, I think. For Best, really? I think. Huh. I could be wrong, but I think... I, I, know, I know Heath Ledger got the... Posthumous. He won, yeah, supporting actor for his portrayal of the Joker. Yeah, in Dark Knight Rises or whatever. But, it was. but I mean, also like in just in terms of taking risks, like maybe g- give the film to like or the award to a movie like Dunkirk this year, because like when you hear someone say, "Oh, did you watch the Oscars? What you think?" You're like, "Eh, okay." The Ship yeah. Water one, great. But like if you said, "Oh man, I did, did not see Dunkirk coming." As, yeah. as a, or or get out as the the best picture winner. Yeah, that's going to get people talking like, oh man, I wish I had seen that. And I haven't seen Get Out, but but honestly, Dunkirk did not feel like Oscar bait. Mm-hmm. It felt Christopher Nolan was making the film that he wanted to make, and yeah. it got. I would admit I got a little confused at time in terms of the not necessarily chronology, I guess, but but how he was doing it episodically. I didn't know how he was parsing out those episodes. Right. Uh, it took a while. I kind of I did it now, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I'm okay now. But he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't at all trying to make it sort of crowd pleasing. He wasn't trying to make it uh, easily relatable or recognizable. He was trying to portray as much as he as as well as as well as he could as strongly as possible what was going on in terms of the anxiety, the whole sort of hurry up and wait aspect, the the, the tension, the fear um, of Dunkirk and what was going on at Dunkirk and things. So the, the cool thing about it is not everything wraps up. I mean, the guys get away, but then you also see the sacrifices made by a lot of the, the, the troops. You know, Tom Hardy's character at the end mm-hmm. gets, is captured by the Germans. Mm-hmm. Uh but it's like, yeah, if you want to watch a, a film about, like, that's a different take on a story with Darkest Hour and Dunkirk being about the same event, watch Dunkirk. That's yeah. that's the thing that is taking risks in what it's showing. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, Darkest Hour, well-crafted film. You don't learn anyone's names, but it's like, yeah, it's so a, a novel. It's, it it's much more. I think it's much more compelling than Darkest Hour, and Darkest Hour is good. Yeah, and the yeah, writing yeah. is good. The I, performances I don't mean are outstanding. Ostracize, ostracize that one. Too yeah, much, but 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 I think Dunkirk and sort of the 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 sentiment, the emotion that it 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 uh, that it catalyzes within the viewer mm-hmm. is just it's it's so good at doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't I don't think Nolan waters anything down in order to try to make it more palatable for the oscar yeah oscar panel and it's like it it's almost saying if you want to watch what this the superhero genre can do that's like comparing logan and the first thor you know it's like logan right. takes risks and of course they're trying to accomplish two different things well, they're, yeah they're two different but, styles but it's like, of film that's the one that is like gonna make an impression leave leave a leave a mark if you will yeah you know but anyways well, I mean, Thor is—it's part of the whole MCU, and again, they're not to be a Marvel apologist. I'm sure everybody thinks I'm terrible, but um, now people but love I think Marvel. The, the, yeah, I, I enjoy them, yeah, but I mean, yeah. all it is is it's just fun popcorn films, and they're trying mm-hmm. to make those films so that they can attract younger audiences as well. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, you can't go full-on graphic violence the way that they did with Logan. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's and, sort of beasts of two different stripes. Yeah, there, and, so. and and Logan definitely is that crowd pleaser. Like I've talked to people and set have said, I didn't like it because I didn't want to see the superhero I loved uh, degraded and um, kind of wither away. I you know I see him as a strong figure, and I um, like I had this guy at Target one day told me that he's just like I I love Logan so much, but I hated seeing him um, slowly. Um, uh, that's what I like about it so much. Yeah, I know. That's and I said, well, man, that's what I found refreshing. Is is know? it? It's you, you. You can't treat these things as sacrosanct. It's, it's, it's like with the Last Jedi. Exactly. Like, that's you know, that's, like that's seeing what happened with Mark Mark Hamill. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is it's the the. the if these people are characters, if these are, are, are in fact characters and they're human and they develop, then they're going to change over time. Mm-hmm. They don't remain the same. You know, everybody at some point has has an event that traumatizes them, that changes them. They don't return, and they're simply the fact of aging. Mm-hmm. Something I'm having to deal with more and more: uh, the aging process and 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 the toll that it takes on on you, both physically and psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um. So, it's, uh, I really appreciated Logan for that and seeing, you know, I thought what they did, you know, Patrick Stewart and his portrayal of, of Charles Xavier was, I thought, awesome as well. I mean, yeah. first of all, seeing Logan and Hugh Jackman, who did a spectacular job with that role. Yeah. But then also, uh, I mean, you know, it's fun, it's interesting seeing, you know, what happens to these superpowers as these characters get older you know what happens to Charles Xavier, who's this astoundingly powerful telepath. What happens when his mind begins to break and fracture as he gets older and grows senile? Mm-hmm. And you know, but uh, the point is, these people, despite being super superhuman, are still there's still that human aspect to them. Yeah, they've got powers that are somehow sort of grafted onto or built on top of a human frame, a human mind. Yeah, and those things are still fallible. Those things yeah. still degrade. They yep. change. But it's like, if you... Now, of course, there are going to be exceptions to, with some people, but, like, if you really love a character, a fictional character, you'll understand that Lo- Logan's going to be how he is in X-Men Days of Future Past. He's going to be strong and mighty. Then, well, he's probably going to die at some point. At some point, <laughs> when, yeah. And same thing with uh, The Last Jedi. Right. You could. I'm not saying you could have seen that coming in, in that movie, but you're like... I wonder if something's going to change here. Yeah. Or, um, but, so it's, it's, of course, it's personal taste, but, and I'm probably going to watch Guardians of the Galaxy much more often than Logan, you know, but it's like, mm. if I had one to think of that, like, that's probably the one I would choose to watch if I could only watch one Marvel film, probably would be Logan, yeah. you know? Well, it's, it's one of those things, do you put it on so you can have it in the background and you just unwind and they have a couple beers and relax a little bit? Mm-hmm. Or is it a film that you're going to put on because you want to engage with the film, you want to think about things? Yeah. Uh, and so that's 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 the question. That's, that's the issue, is it's, you know, what are you looking for in terms mm-hmm. of one versus the other? Yeah. So. But yes, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a, hard thing to pin down but you know it's and especially with the oscars it's hard it's hard to say yeah um which is more deserving but uh yeah so i guess that's about well, it that, that all started with the all these historical <laughs> dramatizations yeah. yeah so hopefully yeah. we answered that i think i think we i did. think of a lot of a lot of ground covered there but yeah um 
I don't think it's necessarily bad that these historical dramas get all this. No, I mean, I, I, I like history, so I'm always up for watching them. But Yeah, I mean, they're generally of a much higher caliber than everything, uh, than totally. a lot of the other films that come out. Totally. It's just, it's just some of them still give in way too much to the whole Oscar bait thing. Yeah. And so... Yeah, like the, the Danish girl that you brought up is definitely yeah. one. I loved Alicia Vikander in it, and it, was, it looked awesome, mm-hmm. but it just... It just got so such a feeling of Oscar Beatty and sentimental yeah. and like sentimental claptrap and yeah feel bad know. for me now I'm gonna go have this great or this right. epic you know yeah anyways um, yeah so hopefully we answer those questions so thank you so much for the emails and again feel free whether you're a new listener or an old one uh, feel free to send us any question comment criticism whatever um, uh, and. Yeah, so feel free. But I guess we can just move on to our picks of the week. Um, so I have a few things I'll mention. So I bought the Halloween and Friday the 13th complete Blu-ray collections recently. Going like a horror kick, are we? Yeah, I've just kinda, I don't know what I've been in the mood for, but it's just kind of dumb, disposable <laughs> movies, you know. Um, that I, I, I've seen the first Halloween, hadn't seen any of the Friday the 13th. Um, and so I watched the original Friday the 13th recently. And it's, I mean, it's, of course, you have to get past the it's bad acting, yeah. kind of annoying to watch all the characters. There's not a version that you wouldn't want to see them <laughs> yeah. get the axe, yeah. literally. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's a cool film, and it's, it, I think it's a good example of horror films, a film that a lot of other horror films since have taken the idea of the boy who cries wolf. Because mm-hmm. there's a character in this that's the classic, oh, here, I'm, I'm drowning, help me, or I'm. Uh, I'm in this house and there's someone attacking me and then he it's all a joke right. and of course you can see that coming after he does it two or three times you know okay right when the killer shows up he's gonna go and no one's gonna pay attention because like oh he's just messing around again he's just goofing around <laughs> and that's definitely yeah, yeah. even though it's Friday the 13th isn't like held in high claim it's clearly had an influence in that way so that was yeah. interesting just started watching part two not the best it's basically just a rehash but it's okay well, I think the first one, it actually did try to build some tension and that kind of yeah. thing. It was still a slasher flick, but and it also, tried to build some tension. But the other ones are all just like straight up. And also, Jason doesn't show up in the first one. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, and so there, there's, I won't spoil it, but there's a twist there. I thought that was interesting. So yeah. I actually have still not gotten put to the part where Jason shows up. Yeah, so, that's, that's um, the second is, one. Which is interesting. Yeah. Which is, I guess, different from the other franchises. But I haven't, I haven't watched any of the Halloween sequels. I, I love the first Halloween, so I'm... At least somewhat curious, but then I rewatched Logan Lucky. It's mm-hmm. on Amazon Prime now. If mm-hmm. you want, if you were curious, but yeah, just put on there. Very fun. Love Daniel Craig. All the performance is very good. Yeah, it's funny, t- touching, not groundbreaking, but it's very solid. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it's a, it's a really excellent, excellent, fun film. Yeah, um, and there, I have one or two more, but you can, if you have anything, you can. Um. I finished watching Dark, so I can finally move on to some other stuff, thankfully. <laughs> so I'm going to start probably watching Altered Carbon today. I still haven't gotten around to that, but I got sidetracked by uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead, talking about slasher flicks, talking about your Friday the 13th. I mean, obviously yeah. that had a tremendous impact on the original totally. uh, Army of Darkness series, and then uh, the Army uh, Evil Dead offshoot you know, Army of Darkness and now the Evil Dead TV series or Ash versus Ash versus Evil Dead. Yeah, I think that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, but the TV series, which obviously 
is sort of an homage to those old 80s slasher flicks a la Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Um, so season three of Ash vs. Evil Dead just started. It's two episodes in now. And it's still just as so totally awesome. over the top and hilarious as you would expect. Yeah. Um, you know, which I'm not I'm not a big slasher movie guy. I'm not a big fan of just like gratuitous violence for gratuitous violence. But I mean, it, it, the way it, in which they do that in this series, it's so campy. I feel, be, yeah. I feel guilty watching because it's not really my thing. And I do understand that there should be limits on violence and that kind of thing. But, you know, if you're old enough that you you're able to differentiate and that you know that this is totally wackadoo bogus stuff. Yeah. You know. I mean, there's, I think in, like in the very first episode, there's the scene in the, the grocery store where there's a doll attacking, um, Bruce Campbell's face. Yeah. It's hilarious. If that's in the first episode, I think you can put aside this, this is violent. Yeah. You know, if a doll is literally attacking a human being, yeah. it's, you can, uh, have, a little creative license there. There's some, there's some really funny stuff. This first season starts off with uh, him confronting the Deadites in a high school, and there's some really funny stuff that goes mm-hmm. on. And is Lucy Lawless still in it? Yeah, Lucy Lawless is still in it. She's cool. awesome. Yeah. Love her to death. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's fun. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Which I would never think, again, from sort of slasher slasher flicky gore fest type stuff that's yeah. not really my thing i don't really you know but it just does it in such an over-the-top way it becomes campy yeah which uh, the, the evil dead original movies do totally and yeah, I, I love them for that you yeah know, so um so it's it's it, that's fun to watch and i've been watching a um i really enjoy all these like uh all of these netflix uh, culinary documentaries. Mm. I've watched Chef's Table and I've watched a bunch of the other things that they have on there, but they've got a new series, um, Ugly Delicious. Oh, I, yeah, I heard about that. Which is hosted by David Chang and his, his writing partner, Peter, Peter Meehan? David Meehan. Peter Meehan. Um, who used to be a food critic in New York Times and a few other things, but they co-wrote the Momofuku um, cookbook. Hmm. Which Momofuku is uh, David Chang's noodle bar up in New York. A lot of a lot of big coverage. And anyhow, the series is really interesting because it's not just oh, let's talk about food and look here's food and look here's this really awesome restaurant in Australia and let's see what ingredients he makes and or what what ingredients he uses and how he makes his his steak tartare. You know, it's not just boring crap like that. It uses food as a pretext to look at sort of the, the, the cultural implications of the food itself, of how the food got to be here, of, you know. And uh, I remember it was talking about, they had one episode where it was looking at, uh, what is it, Viet Cajun food, hmm. which was a little strange, right? But it yeah. has to do with crawfish and using crawfish and certain sort of uh, Vietnamese-influenced Cajun hmm. Uh, dishes and so forth but the interesting thing is it looks at the wider sort of social political cultural uh, milieu in which these sorts of food fusions food whatever you want to call them uh, arise Mm -hmm. and it was talking about how back in the 1970s following the Vietnam conflict 
a lot of Vietnamese from southern Vietnam uh, migrated, uh, immigrated to the United States, and how they all started shrimping on uh, in the Mississippi Delta, uh, because you know similar somewhat geographically to the Mekong Delta, and so they had a lot of these Vietnamese immigrants had experienced shrimping and so forth, and how. Uh, uh, white shrimpers felt, uh, oddly enough, very similar to now, but uh, how a lot of these white shrimpers felt threatened by Vietnamese coming in and hmm. uh, doing sort of the same job. And so these white shrimpers started getting uh, KKK members to go out on their boats with them. Heesh. <laughs> And I mean, this, this is, this is, this is, these are things that I didn't know about. I mean, it's yeah, utterly yeah, fascinating to hear these things. Hmm. And it talks about, um, I just watched an episode on fried chicken. And it's interesting because it talks about all of the, the, the sort of um, cultural, racial baggage that goes along with fried chicken and how these stereotypes, particularly uh, in the South, about uh, African Americans chicken fried chicken how all these things came about mm -hmm. and how uh black americans are coping with these these sort of racial stereotypes right and the implications of it and i mean it, it looks at these things from all these different angles and it's just i mean just just social political cultural implications of food and how the you don't think about these and so it's actually a mind-blowingly good series hmm. and i highly highly suggest it to anybody who's not just a food a foodie but wants to look at these uh, food as a representation of social political and cultural uh movements zeitgeist so forth and so yeah. it's it's a really good series huh yeah i mean i i feel like i'm still yet to become a food a food show guy like you know like the majority of the a lot of people i know they're like oh yeah i've been watching this chef show this one that yeah and it's like Okay, I'll watch it. Well, and, and so I, I know completely see the appeal. It's just that I mm -hmm. I really need to find one. And maybe this is a good uh, introduction that I really break into the foodie TV world. Well, the chefs, the chefs table. I mean, I enjoy watching it, but it's more sort of chefs just sort of waxing poetic about their philosophy of cooking. Mm -hmm. And you get to see some cool dishes, and you, you get to see some really well-known chefs do some cool stuff. And, and I have the utmost respect for these guys, and I really enjoy hearing about um, how they got to, to their position. Mm -hmm. um, what, was, what sort of training did they have? What sort of um, travails did they experience in order to get their, their experience? Um, and uh, eventually get to the position they have, but... Uh, it's it's almost as though food exists in a vacuum with these shows yeah. and all it does is just talk about you know my philosophy of cooking is this <laughs> and i like to do this and i'm a you know locally sourced blah 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 produce blah 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 and right. i grow it myself in my own backyard you know okay that's that's all well and good but this series ugly delicious i mean it really goes different directions hmm. That's interesting. It's really interesting. Huh. It's really fascinating stuff. Because I, I mean, so. I, but again, it comes with the idea of at least me watching them. It's like, it's a TV show. Mm -hmm. And it's, a lot of them are somewhat disposable. So it's like, I would yeah. so much rather watch a documentary like, uh, is it Jiro Dreams of, Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Jiro uh, Dreams of Sushi. Yeah. yeah. Um, awesome documentary. Yeah. That's, I would so much rather watch that than a competitive show or some other 
yeah. TV show where it's just because it's a movie I, form. Honestly, that's yeah. I can't. I hate. Fun. I hate. I hate uh, all these reality yeah, competition those, shows. They are the worst. <laughs> they are. They're just. They're just awful. I'm so. I'm so over. It. I mean, yeah. I did. I was never really into them in the first place. But you know, after about the first year, I was over them. Mm. Although I will say, uh, the British baking show on PBS is amazing. Oh, uh, uh, the one that's on the great, is it just is the it great, just called the, the wait, Great British Bake Off or something? Great British Baking Show, whatever whatever that is, I love that. I because my my mother watches that and I'm like, I find myself weirdly <laughs> entertained. Really? Why? I, Why is it so good? Because it's it's for one, it's so much more calm, and also you have the British humor too. It's not like. If you don't do this, you are. This food is the worst thing I've ever tasted. It's, uh, it's not the American. It's not like uh, what's his face that asked the Simon Cowell. On. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is very. It's charming. It's low key. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like it's almost like a British mystery show. It's very calm and somewhat disposable, but still very entertaining if you watch it. And it's like all these kind of young, charming British people doing. Um, no, no, go ahead. Oh, uh, uh, just doing uh, small little dishes, and then, so that's very charming. So if you haven't seen that, that's actually one I do like. I don't watch it religiously, but it's it's good. I think they've got it on Netflix. I should maybe watch. Yeah, it. they might. Yeah, and the, I think it's on UNC or PBS, whatever, which whichever one. But yeah, so uh, well, maybe I'll check out Ugly Delicious. Well, I was gonna say. Um, I highly recommend it. It's it's really good. It's really yeah. you know astonishingly good. Hmm. Um, but uh, I remembered it just dawned on me. I remembered that actually I, I was a huge fan of Iron Chef. Oh, really? Not the American version. The American version. I watched some of it, but it just it quickly sort of grated it, on my nerves. It's so unlikable after a while. It really, it really is. You're like, this is, we're cooking here. This isn't it's like... It's over the top. But I remember I watched the Japanese version hmm. uh, before it even came to the U.S. and they started dubbing it. Uh, the first time I saw it was actually in Japan. It was 96, 97. Yeah. It was my junior year in college. I was over in Japan. And uh, my family watched it, and that's when I first got turned on to it. So I can't say I never watched any of those competition TV shows. I did watch Iron Chef. Mm. And that was before I really got caught up in the whole food culture and uh, started, you know, watching food shows and reading food books and all this food stuff. Um, But it was a lot of fun to watch, and I actually learned a lot about cooking from watching that. Mm. And uh, the, uh, the Japanese chefs that they had, the Iron Chefs, the Japanese ones were really amazing uh, just astoundingly good yeah and just the techniques that they used and what was really interesting about it is the fact that um most of these chefs did not come out of a strictly french tradition and so they had really vastly different techniques in dealing with things and it was kind of cool to see that and then compare that to all the cooking shows that i watch now and the different techniques that they you know the more traditional french techniques that uh, yeah. most western chefs yeah. yeah, and I mean, like, the the greatest British baking show, whatever it's called, is, like, it's almost like a, the, a Spielberg version of a show. It's really? it's slower paced. Mm-hmm. It's not that, uh, 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 like, aggressive mm-hmm. or anything. It's very calm and com- uh, composed. And, like, when someone gets knock, knocked off, you're not, like, 
you're done. Oh. Like, get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like suck it. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like, <laughs> not this hyper competitive thing. Although it's, uh, that would be amazing if someone did that randomly on yeah. the show. But uh, someone like uh, they like oh they give the person a hug. They're like I'm sorry, we had to do this. It's like yeah. it's like that British kindness. Yeah, is there is so apparent. And so that's mm-hmm. what's I'm sure that's why it's on PBS because it's yeah. like, harmless, but. Well, um, it's very different because I mean Simon Cowell, the guy on American Idol or whatever that an is, is he's he's British and, and I'm he's sure a lot of fucking some, jerk. Some of it is performance, I'm sure, but yeah, well, I, I'm sh- I know a lot of it is overblown specifically to to, to, to attract the audiences, people that resonates with people, which I don't understand yeah. why why somebody would like somebody who's an absolutely bombastic jerk. Is yeah, beyond me. But, but there's the have you seen the episode of Archer where they have uh they're at a restaurant and mm-hmm. they're in a they're, they play uh, uh, a kitchen staff to prevent this assassination. Have you seen yeah. it? It's in like maybe the second or third season. Yeah, and I Anthony, vaguely remember it. Yeah. And Anthony Bourdain is the he shows voice. Up. Is, yeah. is amazing. Like if you want to see He's a, the chef of the kitchen. It's so funny. Yeah, if you want to watch a parody of a American reality show, find that episode on Netflix of Archer. I remember it's, that. It's now. amazing. Yeah, Anthony Bourdain was one of the early guys because I obviously read Kitchen Confidential and then I uh, started watching. Uh, well, he had Cook's tour on the Cooking Channel back when they actually covered cooking, and but he's he's one of the original guys who 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 he looked at cooking, but he didn't look just at cooking. He looked at cooking in a comparative cross cultural yeah. context, and he looked at cooking as um w- in, within the larger context of 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 geopolitics and and cultural shift and and these kinds of things, and so it was. Uh, he he's done some really interesting things. I mean, his travel show. What was it? No reservations uh, or something like that. Yeah, and then um, yeah, I can't remember the exact. Name, it was utterly. I mean, some of the those episodes <clears throat> have been. Some of them are just sort of goofy. I mean, when he's he when he's in relatively stable stable Western countries, mm-hmm. you know, it it focuses more on food and things like that. But then he goes to other places like like some of these, you know, uh. Uh, Middle Eastern countries or, or areas in Africa or, you know, and it's uh, more interesting because of the the sort of dynamic political, social, cultural milieus in which these places exist. And so, I mean, there's one episode where he's in, I think he's in Lebanon. Hmm. And then something started happening. They, they, they started uh, being issues with Israel and, and he gets confined to a hotel and there are threats of kidnapping. I mean, it's mm. really fascinating stuff to watch yeah. this. And I've actually another show, it's more about the traveling, but An Idiot Abroad is a fun show to watch and there's some food. Is that Ricky Gervais? It, yeah, he hosts it and then um, Carl Pilkington is the star. He goes oh, okay. everywhere. And so he always has to try or is forced to try the weirdest types of foods. And mm-hmm. so like he has to when he's in certain places like in the Middle East or in um, Southern Europe, he has to like try like he eats like a testicle or something and then is told afterwards what it is, you know, or, or when he's in China oysters. or in China, they're like scorpions on uh, like sticks mm-hmm. and, and all, or like a, um, there was a fetus that someone was eating, like a uh, like a frog or a something fetus that someone would just like shoveling <laughs> and oh. it's just like which well, that's of course, what they you've heard of uh Philip, philippines or is it china that they do it but it's called belong i think 
No, I don't know by name, but may I may have heard you of it. You ever heard of this? What what is it exactly? It's a mostly partially or mostly formed duck. That sounds vaguely familiar. It's it's the weirdest thing. You know, most eggs you go to a grocery store, you get an egg. It hasn't been fertilized by by a rooster. Right. And so there's nothing forming inside. It's just yolk and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a non-fertilized egg well in china the philippines somewhere i forget exactly where it originated but but they eat it in a few different places in i believe in east asia south asia somewhere Mm. um but they'll take fertilized duck eggs i think they're duck eggs and then as it matures before the egg hatches they'll take it and prepare it somehow. Oh, I think I, I, I mean, it. And so you crack it open, you eat it, and it's like oh, that does sound basically like, a, like a duck fetus. Oosh, You're eating a duck fetus. Don't, that's the only thing I would ever try that. Not willingly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So and the idiot abroad is a fun one because of course some of it is performance and he is being paid to do it, but like some of the stuff he is forced to try is awesome or yeah. or is hilarious to watch. Yeah. Um so well, Anthony Bourdain is, is you know, he's he's very adventurous sort of culinary palate and he's tried a bunch of things which frankly I would never eat. I yeah. remember there was one episode he said he said later that he actually became kind of deathly ill from eating this, Eesh. but it was a mostly raw like warthog anus. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the type of stuff that you hear like who thought of this? I, yeah, right? You know, it's That's... like, I guess, using every part of an animal or something. Right. But, like, Jesus, there's a, a certain cutoff line you got to take. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, kudos to him because, I mean, these are, a lot of times, these are uh, very uh, well regarded traditions within whatever cultural ethnic group that he's visiting. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't want to offend them and he wants to, to, to pay homage to. Or pay respect to their traditions, and I understand that. But I mean, s- you still have to wonder. I mean, how? Warthoganus. Like, no, seriously, that's it's like. Do I want to eat that? Like, no, that's, that or uh, a bowl of spaghetti. Like, yeah. Well, you know, give or take. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so there's definitely some weird food out there. So yeah, okay. Anyhow, um, but yeah, yes, and that went far afield. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I will check out that ugly, delicious sounds. It's good, really good. good it's thing really excellent programming. I mean, it's really fascinating stuff. So yeah, but yeah, Evil Dead season three and Ugly Delicious are what I've been watching lately. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll mention one more thing, and then we can uh, wrap up, I guess. But I caught an American in Paris on TV a few nights ago, the classic Gene Kelly. Um, musical. Oh, okay. Um, and I, at first, because it was on Turner Classic Movies, and I, it said that the Bridge on the River Kwai was playing. I was like, oh, I love Bridge on the River Kwai. I'll watch that. Mm-hmm. And it was actually an American in Paris. Um, and they, that entire day, I looked back, and it was like completely wrong <laughs> at what they're playing. Um, so they kind of had a little mis- mishap there. But hmm. I, had, I actually don't think I'd ever seen an American Paris all the way through, which I know for some cinephiles is a sin. It's a classic film. Um, but I did catch it, and like within about ten minutes, I was like, "This is a favorite film." I mean, not like in my top five or something, but like, mm-hmm. this is incredible. Really? Like, yeah. I and I, I mean, I'm not really a huge fan of musicals, and so, but I do like that kind of classic feel at times. But it is Gene Kelly is, you know, hack hack actor. No, he's like he's he's a <laughs> definition. But of who that. can dance? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but he, no, he's he's awesome. Um, it's beautiful, beautiful to watch. Beautifully directed. Um, all the costume, costume and production design is amazing. It just has this endless charm and romance to it and magic to it that's hmm. hard to uh, compare with a lot of other films of that time. But if you haven't seen an American in Paris. Give it a definitely give, worth it. Give it give it a look, and if you're trying to watch Bridge on the River Kwai, turn classic movies. It may actually be an American in Paris, so okay. or vice versa. <laughs> I don't know. Well, they're very interchangeable. Yeah. You know, same same film. film side dancing. Yes, you know. same film. But yeah, I mean Gene Kelly's amazing. It just the dance, his dancing is incredible to watch, especially since most of it is a single take a lot of the time. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, which Fred Astaire is actually, the, I think, one of the person people that first started that. He's like, no, we're doing this in one take, the entire sequence. Right. You know, so, like in Top Hat, but, yeah, thing that's about it, um, been just so busy with and stressed because of the manager duties I was given this weekend that I've just been yeah. exhausted. Like, I've just been... Like, when I get home, I just sit on the couch for a few hours, like, listen to a podcast, and then go to sleep. Like, yeah. it's been some long days, but... Um, but, yeah, so I think that's about all we got. Um, unless, Brandon, you have anything else you want to mention? No, not really. No. Um, well, I mean, we went a little long today, and um, hopefully, since even though Chloe wasn't here, which she usually brings some some fun and, and kind of giggles to it. Um, Zest and peppiness and yes, fun and uh, all the things that I lack. Yeah, yeah, hopefully you weren't too... I mean, what, usually when she's not here, we're a little more, uh, I guess, low-key, I guess. But hopefully that's still entertaining for you or informative to you, one or the other. Uh, we'll take it. But um, we, we did hope hope you enjoy the, the show. And yes, sh- uh, Chloe will be back next week. We may have a guest on as well, um, but not sure yet. But... Chloe at least will be back as I'm afraid I'm guessing you'll I should yeah. be here unless should, something should. comes up I should be here and hopefully I'm, I'm here too but <laughs> again as I mentioned things have been tumultuous with the, yeah. with the Chelsea changeover but and so yeah we'll we'll keep you updated and so I guess this coming week is a wrinkle in time is that I think okay um I I would have I haven't really heard I mean, there are other right. films coming out that that I'm also interested in, but I guess the, the this, big one is wrinkled. I guess there's Gringo, which does not. Yeah, I have no interest in seeing that whatsoever. I, I love the cast, but it does not. Yeah, look, does not look good. Daniel Oyelowo. Yeah, Charlie's there. Charlie's Joel Edgerton again. Uh, but yeah, so I think if I'm correct, I may be wrong, but a Wrinkle in Time does come out this week, so I think we will do that and probably pair it with some maybe another Ava DuVernay movie or something like that, but. We'll figure it out and just keep track on... Could do that or could do another children's adaptation of a children's That'd probably make more sense. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so... I think doing, doing Wrinkle Time and then a Wrinkle Review of Selma would be a little jarring. Yeah, the 13th in particular. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we, yeah, so we probably won't do that. It probably will be maybe another Disney film or something like that, but stay just stay uh, track on or stay updated on Facebook and Twitter and... Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd, like ratings and stuff, and then uh, that's about it, I guess. And again, feel free to send us emails. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, Braden, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for coming through. You always uh, thank me, and I'm I'm more appreciative of just being able to be here and yeah. discuss film it's, and it's, it's a get good, the hell out of my apartment. I know it's a it's a good uh, escape for a few hours. So and hopefully you feel the same way. Yeah. So um, thank you again for joining us. Uh, Until next week, we'll see you later.